0: it's beckoning me stay away from the land
1: (laughs) what's up everybody welcome to another special episode of Watch If You Dare. This week, we've got a
0: super special episode. I feel like every week is a special episode now. It feels that way.
1: Uh, these are special times we live in. Yeah. But yeah, this is our uh, first Mother's Day special. This is also something that we had planned, you know, kind of from the beginning to have our moms on sooner or later. But since your mom doesn't like horror movies, and mine does, that worked out perfectly. So yeah, this yeah. week, our super special guest is my mom. Tammy Mansfield. Hello, hello, hello. Yay. I remember the first and only time I've
0: watched Mulholland Drive was you came over to the house uh, in college and we watched it. And I was a little yep. shocked that like
1: Aaron was having his mom watch this with us. Oh, yeah. Well, yep. yeah, it's fine. Now she just gets on to me for showing her like just the dumbest trash garbage. I spent five, six years just watching all the highbrow shit that I could get my hands on. And so now I'm just kind of completely on the other end of that bell curve, which is just what's the worst <laughs> Trash that I can find and enjoy. So that's the stuff I typically show her now. And she usually just gets frustrated with me. Yeah. Have you seen the stuff? Tammy? What stuff? No, like the stuff. The Larry Cohen movie about the ice cream goop that turns everybody into zombies. No,
2: I don't think I have.
1: Okay. Well, that's definitely a fun one I'll I'll bring down next time. Okay. Or our
0: classic Thanksgiving episode on Blood Rage.
2: Oh, no. I've seen that movie more times than I cared to <laughs> ever have seen it in the first place. <laughs> that movie
1: yep. ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, we also just watched Bloody Birthday, which I mentioned a while back. We watched that one fairly yep. recently. Nice. Yeah, usually when I crash into town for work, um, I'll stay at their house, and we'll usually end up watching some garbage that's on Shutter or Tubi or one of those services, so good times. <laughs> yep. Real quick, I guess, we've mentioned our, like, backgrounds with horror pretty consistently, but, you know, you being my mom, I think people have heard most of the stories with me kind of in relation to you, like, you know, we definitely grew up in a house that was kind of sort of horror no-no, but there was still stuff that you let us watch, oddly enough, yeah. You know, just like oddball things. And that's part of why I wanted to have you on because this movie that we're talking about this week, that's one of those that like, I definitely remember watching at a fairly young age with you. And it was on cable a lot when I was younger. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's one of those weird things that, I don't know, because you watched it at a certain age or you liked it, maybe it was just one of those things that, you know, you let us kind of get away with watching for the most part that. And, you know, they cut out like the most extreme stuff on TV, at least.
2: Well, right. We all know the story of how... We were constantly you know, recording stuff on the VHS off of Disney or whatever. And we'd zoom through the commercials. Then we made the mistake of actually buying the DVD of the Sandlot after you guys <laughs> have been watching it from the Disney version forever, never, never. Well, the
1: Sandlot, the Goonies, it all those. Yeah.
2: All this language in it that we never knew about.
0: You know, the yeah. funny thing is, I don't think I've ever seen the non Disney-fied versions of at least the Sandlot. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've never actually seen like straight from the DVD. Yeah. yeah. Those kids are constantly like, no sh- Shit, bro, like just constantly throwing out swear words.
2: Aaron's dad almost wrecked the van on the way home from church one day because Aaron blurted out "bastard" to his brothers, <laughs> hearing it on The Sandlot, and then we finally just had to s- stop letting them watch it because Caleb blurted out at the dinner table, "What is this shit?" And Dad was like, "Okay, that? no more Sandlot."
1: <laughs> yeah, at least for a little while. Um, but yeah, yes. like that's the fun stuff that you know we joke about on this show pretty consistently is like the stuff that we watched growing up that for various reasons now, like, there's no way kids' movies can get away with some of it. You know, the language kind of being the most mild thing, but...
2: Well, unfortunately for Aaron, since his dad and I were both in school the first five years of his life, he watched a lot of TV and <laughs> a lot of movies.
1: <laughs> um, so, I guess, uh, let's let's go ahead and talk about some recent recommendations. Uh, Ma, since you're the guest on this episode, anything you want to bring up or talk about that you've watched, read, listen to etc that's horror related at least
2: recent recent you know everything's coming off of netflix it's yeah. either old stuff that i stumble on that's really horrible like the stuff you try to make me watch or i'll stumble on you know something really good but i'm mostly just kind of rewatching things and gleaning from them like i think i've watched Midsommar like three times now and every time i watch it you know i see more things that i go wait how how did I not see that? Oh, wait. I had no idea what was coming up, but I get it now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm really glad you like that movie, by the way, because every time that I watch it again, I I love it more and more.
2: I actually do. I mean, I think it's like the most perfect combination of breakup movie versus once you realize that what she's getting from that group of people is the family that she lost. And yeah. even though she's basically psycho now... She got a family. Yeah,
1: totally. It's very cathartic by the end of it. Yeah. It's kind of like Fast and the Furious. It's all about family. <laughs> family. <laughs> Right, Josiah mentioned that y'all had watched a bunch of stuff. What all has he like made you watch at least?
2: Okay, well, when he's not forcing me to just watch YouTube's of stupid stuff, Ugh,
1: these young
2: kids. I, I know. <laughs> We've mostly just been whatever he's binging or whatever I'm binging. We force the other person to watch it, you know. So he'll come over and I'll I'll have to watch Lost, which he started. Or I don't
1: know that I can go back to Lost again, knowing how the whole thing ends. I the first can't like either. four seasons were so good, and then from season 5 on that show started to kind of take a nosedive
2: yeah no it it totally jumped the shark at one point and then I was just over it I've been I haven't really been watching a whole lot of horror stuff because I've been home by myself so much because nobody's here with me and uh, when dad's you know working at the hospital I'm just here by myself so I try not to watch horror horror movies when I'm here by myself. I like to I watch, understand I'd watch them with you guys. And quite frankly, I have trouble finding really good ones because I don't like necessarily just watching the, you know, silly slapstick, blood, blood, blood horror movies. I like the ones that have at least some storyline that you're not figuring out. Even if it turns out to be some weird off-the-wall twist like Cabin in the Woods. At sure. least there was something there that you weren't expecting. Yeah, it was yeah.
0: substance.
2: yeah. Yeah, there was something there. Josiah and I watched something the other day that the entire time we were watching it... Oh! Oh, 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 oh! For the first time in my life, he made me watch, um, not... Dawn of the Dead. Night of the Living Dead?
1: The, like, original black and white one?
2: No, 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 no. I'm not saying the right thing. Shaun of the um, Dead? No, the one where the five people go to the cabin and they evil find dead. the bo- Evil Dead. Oh, uh, okay. Right. We were going to watch two, and he was like, wait, have you not ever seen one? So we put one on. Yeah. And the whole time we were watching it, I just kept going, wait, this is just Cabin in the Woods. It's just Cabin in the well, Woods. Well, Cabin
1: in the Woods is Evil Dead, yes.
2: Right, but that's <laughs> what I'm saying. It's just the same thing. You find the stuff in the basement, the sled Bloody girl gets killed first in the woods. I mean, it was like thing after thing after thing. But it was so. Bad! It was so bad. It was like the
1: worst, <laughs> the worst If you had seen that movie when it came out.
2: I would have been screaming my butt off. Yeah,
1: the stuff that like blew right. your mind back then. If you had seen it then, it probably would have blown your mind. But yeah, you go back and you see like the Play-Doh leg melting and it's not the right. same thing. Well,
2: Josiah's great endorsement of this was just, oh, more blood than any movie's ever used in the history. <laughs> of guy, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, so what? It's horrible. Yeah. And then he tried to make me watch the second one. I'm like, no. no. no, no, Uh, no, no, no. but the second one's so better (laughs) version of the first one. Can we please just watch something else? And then I think I was forced to watch Lost. (laughs) This
1: is what's been fun about like discussing stuff with hosts is everybody has the stuff that they like and don't like, and yeah, like the stuff that you are more drawn to. Like we were discussing the uh, Millennium Trilogy movies the other day, the girl with the dragon tattoo, and like
2: just rewatched all of them.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like we had just talked about that. Just Silence of the Lambs was another staple at our house. that if it was on TV, we'd all just sit around. And watch it because it just yeah. that type of psychological horror is the kind of stuff that you are more drawn to, you know. But like Derek and I, for instance, he's definitely more affected by supernatural stuff, where I'm not, I am definitely more affected by like the more real life violence kind of stuff.
2: The supernatural are actually the ones that have always scared me more, same, yeah, than real life human people just killing people. Those are the ones that really scare me, yeah, when there's something supernatural involved, however. When it's very clever and it's not so much just blood 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 like the Denzel Washington one It kept jumping from person to person to
1: person. Yeah, yeah. Fallen. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. It was Fallen.
1: John Goodman's in it too, yeah.
2: Because of that movie, time is on my side has always creeped me out. That song has always creeped me out now because it's like the demon song to me. It's like, "Mm, yeah, you're going to die, but I got plenty of time, lady. Yeah. I'll be in movie after movie after movie. Yeah, those are the ones that always, always bothered me more. Because just being raised the way we were in the church, that's stuff I actually believed in. Yeah. Jason chopping up people at camp doesn't really scare me yeah
0: I'm the same way and I maybe it is subconsciously because I was raised Catholic that I am the same way yeah like uh, actively that's not the reason why in my head Um, I think it's more just loss of control because if if a supernatural thing like that ever existed there was really nothing I could do about it whereas like if it's (laughs) if it's Leatherface, I still technically have a chance because he's a human yeah (laughs) and I think that's what's always kind of freaky to me and then just imagery as well like the imagery of possession or Supernatural is just more right. more scary to me than a guy in a mask. Uh, but it's interesting you brought up the Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two thing because I had that same exact experience you did with Evil Dead. But when in high school, when I went back and watched the original Mad Max, because the original Mad Max is like totally different, not at all what you were expecting compared to the rest of the the series. Right. And I remember right. going into it, me and my friend were stoked. This is like the bloodiest movie in history. It's super violent. Blah blah. We watch it at the time. I was like maybe just turned thirteen or fourteen. Like. Like it was beyond me. It was, I couldn't appreciate because I wanted more of just like the action of Mad Max rather than the substance of yeah, of what right. he was trying to do. And granted, since then I've rewatched it and like loved the movie for for very different reasons. But like it is not Road Warrior.
1: Road Warrior is right, Road Warriors. Right. The Evil Dead too. It's not assless leather chaps and mohawks. It's a dude named Toe Cutter who's just kind of angry. Yeah, and he kind of and he's not even the
0: last one standing either. It's the uh, yeah. the squirrely guy. Yeah.
2: Well, I wasn't really raised. Watching scary scary movies Mom and I Sometimes on Saturday afternoons We would watch *Morgus the Magnificent That came out of New Orleans And we'd watch some old Silly film you know But they weren't the kind That would scare you to death You know And I didn't see any Rated R movies Until I came to college At USM when I was 18 The fraternity That I became A little sister for Just took the greatest joy In taking me To the Avanti Theater Which used to be Where Java works basically sort of is now, would take me to that theater and would take me to rated R horror movies just to watch me, like, lose my mind because I'd never seen that kind of violence before and, and horror and whatever else. The very first horror rated R movie I ever saw in my entire life was the original Exorcist.
0: Well, <laughs> it's a I, way to start. <laughs> yeah. I almost
2: lost my mind. But the year that I was a freshman at USM, Halloween fell on a Saturday night. Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah, perfect. The
2: whole entire weekend was Halloween. The Avante Theater was giving out free tickets to anybody that showed up in a costume and they were running just non-stop horror movies and so you could just go and just watch and watch and watch and watch movie after movie after movie we had so much fun that weekend but it was the first time i ever saw rated r level i i I saw the howling yeah i saw like my first uh friday the 13th movie whichever one it was i think it was the second one that starts off with the girl getting the ice picking the ear yeah i just kind of got thrown into the deep end of the pool i mean
1: that's a good time though that's It's like the perfect time
0: to get thrown in. We'll never know the experience of like going to see The Exorcist when it (laughs) first
1: pops up in theater. Yeah. The closest thing I can think of to that would be like in the last couple of years, The Conjuring when it came out. Yeah. And then Hereditary last year, just like word of mouth, like, oh, God, I can't tell you anything. You just got to go see it. You know,
2: you can't tell anybody because they have to experience that moment for themselves. Yeah. You just (laughs) can't tell them because they have to sit there and in their human brain go did i just see what i thought i just saw
1: yeah i think that one might tax you when we finally get around to it Derek. that that's one that might finally get you
2: well the two movies that i can remember from my childhood having seen that scared the patooties out of me and i still remember my mom telling me about going to see frankenstein at the movie and that she literally could not sleep for a month that's how scary you know frankenstein that makes
1: nana sound like she's ancient (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was the 50s Well, that had to have been Because, I mean, okay, for people younger than us, I guess Obviously, there was no, like, you could just queue it up at home and watch a movie Like, you had to catch something when it was in theaters and So that was, like, 20 years after that movie had come out She was seeing it But, yeah, that makes her sound like she's 90,000 years old
2: The movies that scared me so bad. There were three of them. One of them was Rosemary's Baby. I watched it with my mom, but she <laughs> wouldn't let me watch the ending. Hail Satan! And then when I finally got to see the ending and what was in the baby basket, I was like, "That's no big deal." What? Why were you shielding my eyes? There's
1: nothing here. You didn't show anything. Yeah.
2: Right. And then the other one is Oh, the
0: Sentinel. That was our third episode we did yes. for the show. Actually,
2: yeah, where the girl. Gets the brownstone apartment. I just watched it again recently. And it's another one of those movies that's got all those quirky actors of that time. When you go back and watch yep. it, and you're like, ah, I forgot about that person. We
1: definitely discussed Burgess and his uh cat and Jeff Goldblum. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the third one, and you know how just the weirdest things stay in your head? I remember laying on my stomach on the rug. I was five years old. I had my colored pencils and I was addressing my Valentine's from my Valentine's class on the TV, watching the birds, Alfred Hitchcock, the birds. Yeah. Could not sleep that night. I don't know why it was on the TV, but it was.
0: <laughs> My dad always talked about how the movie that scared him even worse than The Exorcist was The Omen. Oh, yeah. yeah. Something about The Omen just made it a lot scarier to him than The Exorcist ever was. It's just that supernatural aspect of all of it.
2: Yeah. You know, I went through a couple of years of just loving, loving, loving horror movies, and when your dad and I were first dating or first married that next year or two, we went to see the very First Nightmare on Elm Street
0: Oh boy <laughs> That one is still Even to this day Pretty scary It's pretty good yeah
2: Aaron will tell you Because he's the same way I am He's gotta have something Sticking out of the covers At night Like I can't stand To be completely covered up I gotta have something st- I couldn't stick anything Out of the covers After Freddy Yeah like, No I couldn't feet ha- dangling I
1: Off the bed Nothing No
2: <laughs> I couldn't even have my feet Outside the covers On top of the bed And it scared me so bad That I just stopped Seeing horror movies For a long time like For a decade I didn't go see anything I didn't watch it on tv just ignore it maybe even for 15 years like a long time i didn't watch anything and then once i kind of started back up again that's all there was and by that point i had kids who were watching them with me you know but, so i kind of had to catch up on a lot of the stuff that i had missed along the way in there and if you watch them when they're coming out everything is scary as it's coming out but if you watch it 10 years later yeah a- after the way that things have progressed and gotten better and the cgi and all the different stuff you go back and you watch it and you're like what like the tornado in the movie <laughs> we watched this week
1: the stuff that like truly works still works and the stuff that yeah. like you know just kind of was okay for the time it definitely yeah a product of the you know? time right. yeah. cool cool so derek have you got anything to recommend
0: before i get into that real fast it was funny to hear that y'all's history with horror movies my two older sisters are good like six seven years ahead of me so there was a chunk of time when i was a kid growing up where i was almost a lone child but for whatever reason like horror movies weren't ever that big in our house my dad ad would sometimes like if it was like a classic movie that was also happened to be a horror movie yeah. we'd have it on like I did see some scenes of The Shining probably a little too early and I remember Parts of Poltergeist being on the TV when I was younger as well but otherwise they didn't really care for horror movies so we never really did that but for whatever reason as strict as my parents could be on some things they were the reason why I got into video games at the end of the day because I remember one of my earliest Christmas memories is them getting a Super Nintendo like the year came out and giving it to like all three of us yeah. even then as a kid I couldn't believe that because I was like they don't want us staying up past nine or whatever like what the <laughs> hell is this and it just turned into this whole thing where and granted it was a lot of manipulation on me and my sister's part of like horror video games because my parents never like sat down and played video games with us so they didn't
1: know what y'all were getting into yeah so they
0: didn't know we were getting into and like if you could go to at the time it was like Babbage's and got the right teenager who didn't give a crap about like what they were selling you like yeah you could get like a reson- evil when you're a nine or ten year old as long as you have the cash on you. Well, I've mentioned before
1: on this show, that's how it was for me growing up with the video stores, because we could walk to all the video rental stores that we went to, and it was just a bunch of college kids, and and then Markle, who I've mentioned, and like totally, yeah, it would always just be like, hey kid, here's Texas Chainsaw 2, it's pretty cool, you should (laughs) check it out.
0: Yeah, so I had the same kind of situation going on, it was just me with video games rather than movies, but as far as recommendations go, it's gonna be a little bit more of the same, still working my way through last book on the left i'm still enjoying it this time i got through john wayne gacy's chapter and uh oh boy was he a nut job as well <laughs>
1: yeah to say the least hey boys do you like handcuffs uh you want to play some handcuff tricks there <laughs> yep
0: yep yeah again second time i'm gonna recommend uh last book on the left and i'll just leave it at that you can go back and listen to my recommendation on the past couple episodes but um Real quick
1: there was a John Wayne Gacy movie that starred the dude who played Frances from Pee-Wee's Big Adventure.
2: Yes, I watched it.
1: Perfect casting for John Wayne Gacy, by the way. Yep. Okay, sorry I for interrupting. On, like
2: Shudder or something.
1: But yeah, um, kind of keeping with other
0: stuff that I've talked about in the past. I am still kind of keeping up with the second season of What We Do in the Shadows. Okay. Again, I can't stress oh enough how, how good this show is.
2: So clever and so funny. I it's just watched so the newest good. one last night.
0: I haven't Seen the newest one yet? It wasn't on Hulu last I checked, but I watched the first three episodes.
2: I get on FX and they got an email last night that was one of those spams that puts a curse on you. So the whole yeah. episode is about
0: them <laughs> that cursed, you know. That's what I said the first time I, I recommended the show. I love that they've been around forever and like they're actually super powerful, like right. vampires, but they're just so clueless when it they're comes so, to society. Are. And that it was
2: it was like a ten year old email too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: (laughs) I think my favorite episode so far from the season was the second episode about ghosts. Oh, yeah. When they summon the ghosts into their house and it's their past human selves. Granted, this is a little bit of a spoiler for the second episode, so skip ahead a little bit if you don't want to hear it. But all episode, the energy vampire, he drains people by telling really bad jokes now. Finally, he summons his dead grandmother, her ghost, and he goes, oh, grandma, I think you need some up dog. She's just like, what's up, dog? And he goes, not much talk about I don't know. It's, it's something I, I had read about about that um that actor who plays him specifically. Yeah. Is that he got his way into at least I don't know if in the show or just showbiz in general, by purposely booking himself on like morning talk shows around the country saying he was a stand up comedian and then he would go on these shows <laughs> and, and just purposely bomb, bomb yeah, you know, like do anti comedy bits. <laughs> and they could make it super uncomfortable. And apparently someone caught the eye of him doing this and realized that he was doing it on purpose and like that's how he kind of got his way into this. That's what's so good about what we do
1: in the shadows is it's like taking all the traditional horror tropes you know but it's putting it with like that level of humor and like the awkwardness of the office just kind of all together yeah it's great. I said the first time there is like horror in the show like horror
2: elements
0: and horror imagery but it's just it takes the piss out of it basically.
2: I just love listening to the way that they phrase their sentencing when they're trying to say something mock. yeah but they say it in an ancient way old vampire speak the one guy with the beard just mispronounces everything because he puts the emphasis in the wrong syllable you know and when they when they thought they were going to the party
0: for the um the super bowl party and it's the great owl party (laughs) the the superb the superb owl the superb owl party yeah that's right (laughs) and they think it's like some cult sort of party and it's just a super bowl party i love what how laszlo he just constantly calls guillermo gizmo like the entire time like, never calls him by the right name just i gotta get gizmo. caught up on this season for sure oh my lord it's so good the first three episodes it's so good have been solid but yeah i finally got on that train of tiger king like the rest of the nation <laughs> i finally caught up to it and the reason why i'm bringing it up on our show is because there is quite a lot of real world horror in that show uh yeah way more than i was expecting <laughs> the thing that's most horrifying to me is how you're only a couple degrees away from, like, interacting with someone like this on a daily basis. Totally. Um, The guy who turns witness kind of in the second half who owns a lemur and he just runs, like, a junk shop in in a downtown area of an Oklahoma town. Like, that guy, I've interacted with that guy before at random small towns when i wandered Uh to like, oh, this looks like a neat
1: store and it's like a junk shop. It's like, that guy is probably hiding a dead body, like, for 10 years. (laughs) There's a guy like that in the uh, town that my brother Jesse uh, went to college college. in. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Monkey behind the counter and everything.
0: I kind of resisted watching this show for a little while for two reasons. One, because of the contrarian in me a little bit. It was just like, oh, it's super popular. watching it. I yeah. kind of already know the story because the last podcast covered this a whole year prior, whatever. And then the other aspect was, you know, I, I will admit I'm one of those people. That, granted, I don't necessarily, I'm not like an activist or anything, but I don't necessarily care for looking or seeing like mistreatment Animal of animals.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. I get that. And I will say the documentary, wall doesn't shy away from that. It's digestible, I would argue. As popular as this documentary is, like, I can't believe like more people aren't talking about it because like they're all talking about like Joe Exotic and his his whole personality and all Everybody's
1: that. Everybody's discussing the sensationalism of it, but nobody has taken pitchforks to these like right. zoos and air quotes demanding them to like close down or anything like that. Yeah. That's
2: because nobody wants to get murdered by Carol.
1: <laughs> <laughs> more
0: specifically, I'm surprised more people aren't talking about, it, and I'm not gonna give away spoilers to scene. Let's just say the scene involves A camera recording and a gun. And I can't believe more people aren't yeah. talking about that scene because that was the one scene where like Savannah and I, we were talking a little bit as we were watching through and just discussing like, oh, how ridiculous these people are. That was the one scene where we both got real quiet for like five minutes, just kind of Same. in shock. Yeah, It's horrifying. And like not a single one of these bastards is trustworthy. I think they're all fucking guilty. And the <laughs> one shining light out of all of this is I hope that in the end, and not for his own retribution, but I hope Joe Exotic's supposed information he has on everybody does take all of these people down. Somewhere or another because yeah. like not a single one of them seem trustworthy no nah. everybody in that
1: show is fucked up in some kind of way yeah uh...
2: but just think now you've gotten to see a thruple wedding
1: that quilt was amazing by the way that quilt of like all of them shirtless <laughs> <laughs> that, that was pretty good
0: there is a shit ton of real life horror in this documentary so i will oh, yeah. i'm just like the rest of the nation i got caught on to tiger king and i've watched the whole thing
1: cool well um my recommendations are kind of short like i mentioned earlier heather and i have both just been mainlining Sopranos recently, and um, I have been doing a lot of editing and just catch up on work and everything else. So I don't have a ton of movie recommendations per se. I did just get Arrow's new Blu-ray of Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Um, that finally came out. Um, I'm probably going to rewatch it again sometime in the next few days. As far as everything else goes, just kind of tangential. We mentioned on our giant indulgent tweet, Twin Peaks thing that we just did Two things, one, I did go ahead And re-listen to the audiobook of The Secret History of Twin Peaks I forgot how much Just straight up UFO History stuff is in that book Oh yeah, a lot of it (laughs) And all the like, Doug Milford is like secretly A CIA spook and You know, just all this other like weird History about Jack Parsons um, And like the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and his Connections with L. Ron Hubbard Bird and all these other like weirdos
0: that bit is like the scene that sticks out my head because one of them touches like that altar they had and it's from yeah. the wood of twi- <laughs> woods of Twin Peaks and he
1: utters fire walk with me as he's like touching it yeah well like Jack Parsons kind of in the back end of his life when he's going crazy he's like wearing the owl ring and stuff like that there's also that crazy chapter which is again like they took all this like real life conspiracy theory and real life urban legendy kind of stuff and wove Twin Peaks into all of it. But I think my favorite goofy moment is the chapter where Doug Milford meets up with Nixon. At yeah, yeah. Nixon's yeah. house in Florida, where he's just hanging out with Jackie Gleason and they're drinking and talking about like UFOs and space and shit. And then he's like, You guys want to see some crazy shit? And like takes them to that Air Force base and shows them the alien bodies. Like that's been one of those long time conspiracy theory things because Jackie Gleason, toward the end of his life, was like, Yo, Nixon showed me aliens, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? I lo- like <laughs> I loved how they tied that into Twin Peaks, though. Yeah, just wild stuff like that. So that's that's a fun read for anybody that's like interested in Twin Peaks just kind of remembering a lot of the things that we kinda half-assed mentioned. Other thing I'll say is this. We talked about David Desmalkian's Dark Horse comic, Count Crowley, last episode. Mm-hmm. Well, I pull up my podcast today and Shockwaves has an episode with him today. <laughs> Of course they do. Um, so I threw it on and started listening to it. And I completely forgot to fucking mention it. I do a decent amount of research for this show in terms of like looking at connections and who's done what and background and everything else. I completely fucking forgot. David Desmalkian was in Twin Peaks The Return. Pfft, that that whole like connection just completely missed me altogether on an episode where we're talking about Twin Peaks. Yeah, he was in The Return. What part was he in The Return? I don't remember him. I'm trying to think of he He's like the weird kind of insider guy that the Belushi bros in Vegas like go to at one point and everything else. And he's like rubbing his head weird to like signal and all this other kind of stuff. He's not in it very long, but he is in it. And I just completely forgot that connection when we're literally talking about Twin Peaks and then we're literally talking about a project he did on the side. So that was an interesting connection that I like completely forgot about because in the beginning of the episode, they were like, like, hey, you've worked with so many big directors at this point in your career, including you know David Lynch. Let's talk about him. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa." yeah. So, completely forgot about mentioning that tidbit on an episode with us talking about both of those entities. Last thing I'll mention real quick, I've been listening to a lot of music while I've been working. You usually bring up music recommendations, but I have been listening to a couple of specific things that are kind of vaguely weird, doomy, kind of horror-related. King Buffalo's new album Dead Star is pretty rad cover is great it's just like this old like 70s space font with a giant cloudy nebula skull on the cover yeah you show me that art that's great yeah but that whole album's pretty great if you like proggy doom stuff and i've also been listening to merlin a good bit they have these kind of two companion albums the wizard and the mortal uh, which are both pretty fucking rad <laughs> Give you an idea of some of the titles of these songs grave lord <laughs> tarantula hawk ashen lake chaos blade <laughs> So it's just all these, like, ridiculous, like, imagine the most, like, D&D game come to life, but with Doom Metal kind of thrown in, so that's some fun shit on Bandcamp if anybody is looking for some music recommendations, but yeah, beyond that, that's kind of it for me, so I will try to definitely get some more recommendations together for everyone for our next episode, if I'm not still just mainlining Sopranos. Yeah, I'll try and get away from
0: constantly plugging last podcast book and what we do in the shadows, but... Seriously, what we do in the show is top-notch. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Cool, cool. Well, um, real quick, uh, before we kind of get into Poltergeist, let's take a quick break to hear from us about our friends at Nightmare Threads. <laughs> What's up, fellow spoopy people? Are you shopping for horror movie merch to match the fear in your heart?
0: Do you want to show your love and fandom for horror, or are you just looking for the perfect gift for that special mutant in your life? If so, check out Nightmare Threads, your one-stop
1: shop for all things horror made for fans by fans.
0: Nightmarethreads.com offers clothing, apparel, and merch for numerous horror movies, TV shows, and other macabre pop culture.
1: Nightmare Threads also has original horror Content, articles, news, and more. So you can support us by supporting them. Check out our show's Twitter and Facebook pages for our unique referral link or use coupon code you DARE, all one word, no spaces, at checkout to save 10%.
0: So just go to nightmarethreads.com and again use our referral link or the code WATCHIFYOUDARE to save 10%.
1: Watch horror, love horror, support horror. Shop Sally! Alright, cool, cool So, let's talk Poltergeist The house looks just like the one next to
3: it And the one next to that And the one next to that A young couple live in it Give Ken a kiss Uh (laughs) <laughs> you are so a With their three children. No. Ah. Of course you yeah. chew each ten times. Yeah, yeah. And something more. Oh. They're here. Yes, sweetie, yes, remember last night? Do you remember when you woke up and you said yes. you were here? Uh-huh. Uh, who did you mean? Who's here? TV people. Something's funny going on here next door. Something, uh... We were wondering if maybe you had experienced any disturbances lately. Like what, what kind of disturbances? I don't know what happens over this house. I've never sensed anything like it. My baby! Now Steven Spielberg crosses a frightening new threshold into a world within our own. Its form is revealed. What is it? Its focus is clear. No, don't touch me! It knows what scares you.
0: I thought this movie, for the longest time, was directed by Steven Spielberg. He just did everything
1: else, and it was actually Hooper. (laughs) Womp. All right, so look, let's start there. So... The two things that like, I don't want to talk about, but the two things that I think we kind of have to talk about because you're just fucking contractually obligated by pop culture history to discuss them so Toby Hooper directed this movie I don't care what anybody says Spielberg yes he has a very like strong hand producing he wrote the movie he had a lot of stake in this movie Toby Hooper directed this and we'll yeah. like we'll talk through a few details. Secondly the other thing is the whole idea of like this movie being cursed or this series being cursed rather and I was gonna bring
0: that up because I just wanted to ask you is it just because those two actresses had strange deaths later on? Well,
1: it's more like five actors in this (laughs) series had weird deaths and lots of other like weird stuff happened over the course of these three movies it still boils down to like okay unfortunate shit in real life happens all the time and when was the last time in the last like 25 years that we heard about a movie being cursed uh never right like it just whatever it's just tabloid stuff it's kind of one of those ideas about movies that's kind of died down in the age of the internet i think as well too like if we talk about movies that are cursed now the most obvious examples i can think of are all just dumb shit like justice league there's <laughs> just <laughs> all the people like whining complaining about you know like release the Snyder cut um, whatever yeah just get over it that movie's bad <laughs> yeah it, there is no Snyder cut um anyway so poltergeist yeah we're gonna get hate mail for that one probably yeah we're um, gonna
0: probably get one starred for that please whatever five stars us we like your opinion so poltergeist
1: 1982. This is one of those great summer of 82 movies when just all kinds of insane shit came out at the same time. We've talked about it before. This movie came out like within a week of ET and the thing and Blade Runner and just all this other big insane stuff came out that summer. What, what is it like now reflecting back on when you were younger and looking at all the movies that were kind of out at the same time that are classics now and wondering like, what of those did I see? What of those should I have seen looking back on it? What are your thoughts on that?
2: What's funny is when you have a very, very specific memory attached to having gone and seen it and something weird happened. When I went to see my first Indiana Jones movie, the film, you know, burned up in the middle of the movie. And we all had to go out of the theater. And after waiting around for an hour, they come out and tell us they're going to refund us all. we got to come back later. So I had to see it in two different sittings. (laughs) When I saw E.T., And it was one of those movies where you just knew that you were watching something that was different than anything you'd ever seen and nothing was ever going to be like it. Sure. It made you feel in your gut in a way that you wanted to feel every time you saw a movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah you know
2: because it made you laugh and it made you cry and it made you do all the things all at one time and just be thankful and happy to be a human living on this planet you know right that way when i saw close encounters of the third kind erin can tell you i was hugely grounded when that movie came out and so i missed my 15th birthday but my parents took me to go see close encounters of the third kind and so my birthday that year was my parents taking me to the movie it was the best birthday i've ever had my entire life still (laughs)
0: yeah i'd imagine
2: i just remember the feeling of my parents spending time with me together and then coming home and reflecting on that movie because it's just it's just life-changing. I mean, there's just nothing like that shared experience of being in a movie theater with other people and knowing that you shared that moment with them. When I saw Midsommar the first time, when the credits came up, there was this like five seconds of silence and then some guy in the audience goes, what the F was that? I mean, it <laughs> was, was like everyone's collective thought. And then after a few more seconds of silence, I said, Well, I'm canceling that trip to Sweden now. And I mean, literally, just as a collective group, we all just fell out yeah, laughing
1: because there was just was that just sigh of relief, yeah, of so what you had all been through.
2: Nervous and weird, and we just didn't know what had just happened. But that's what seeing something at the movie, and it's so different than seeing it at your house. Yeah. Whether you're with people or not, it's just different to say, I was there, I saw it in a movie theater, you know, when it first came out.
1: But yeah, like that whole idea of just like sharing a collective experience. I mean, everybody, especially right now, is talking about whether or not theaters are going to open back up, and what is it going to be like once this COVID is done, just whatever. This is why. This is why theaters are going to open back up. Movie theaters are going to open back up. It's all going to come back around because of this. Exactly what we're talking about.
2: Because it's just not the same. It's
1: not the same at all. And having that collective experience, whether it's something that, you know, you can all, in that moment, like, really get swelled up and, like, cheer at, or something like, you know, Midsummer, that's perplexing. And I had kind of the same exact experience when we went to go see it in the theater. Um, It was fairly packed, but at the end, there was just collective silence. And horror movies tend Mm -hmm. to be more like that, especially if it's a movie that ends very kind of not with like a last minute like Friday the 13th style jump scare tag on at the very end the movies that really have kind of a heavy impactful ending everybody is just quiet at the end of them but like you've all shared that same collective experience together and that's why it's you know important for us to all share movies together and not just be consuming stuff alone at home like we are doing right now unfortunately so I mean it's gonna come back for sure and to tie it all
0: back to Poltergeist was that something that was going
1: on with Poltergeist when that first came out? It had to have been because it was the summer of 82 and this was the 8th highest grossing movie of the year. So, I mean, people definitely were going to see this. This wasn't like The Thing, you know, a couple of weeks before which totally tanked because you know, supposedly E.T. took it out. This movie also came out within a week of E.T. yet it was a blockbuster, you know? So, this had to have been one of those movies that people were still buzzing about at the time. You know, okay, Mom, I know you have like a good story about when you saw Poltergeist with papa so like tell that real quick just to kind of give i guess an idea about that
2: well my dad and i kind of had this long-standing tradition of going to the movie together those were our daddy daughter dates we would just go to the movie but it was almost always something related to cowboys or horses my dad loved horse movies Anything with a horse, um, whether it was old or modern or Western or whatever. And so we always would go see horse movies. Okay, this is the summer that I broke up with a fiance. I called off a wedding way before I met Aaron's dad and the whole deal. And so it was a very sad, horrible summer. And so Daddy and I decided to go see Poltergeist. (laughs) I don't know what possessed us? Because, I mean, my, my dad likes, you know, scary movies, whatever. I mean, it's not like he's crazy about them, but he's not
0: averse to them. He's indifferent to them. And were people already touting it as, like, this is a classic horror, like, as you it was what? out?
2: I don't remember. I just remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. I right. was say it's a really great movie. You got to go see it. I don't even think I knew what the word poltergeist meant. I just <laughs> knew it was a scary movie. Right. But... I don't think either one of us had any idea how bad some of the jump scares were going to be and just some of the really visual things that happened that scared my dad so bad he was almost sitting in my lap. So, um, and I still, you know, I just still laugh about it to this day. But uh, this was after I had, you know, seen that whole first chunk of scary movies when I went to college. This was the summer after my freshman year of college. But I had not seen those kinds of movies with my dad. And I don't think daddy had seen any of the more modern scary movies. Yeah, nothing
1: movies. that intense. Nothing yeah, more like people peeling of faces sudden, off. <laughs> you
2: take them to Poltergeist and yeah, what was in that piece of chicken, you know? <laughs> so. <laughs> but yeah, I just I just remember it just being one of those experiences where we were just like, what did we sign up for? Yeah. And you also have to know that I have an outrageously irrational fear of clowns.
1: And I don't that's one of those like weird things that i was yeah. gonna bring up later too because that's the one thing that everybody from this movie is like oh man clowns fuck me up man and like clowns don't do anything for me you know yeah so that's just that was never the moment in this movie that got to me yeah
2: i'm not scared of bugs or spiders or any of that kind of stuff i'm a boy mom but boy don't put no clowns in front of me
1: Uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> so yeah this movie again came out summer 82 eighth highest grossing movie of the year three academy award nominations oh i didn't realize it was nominated oh yeah it was was nominated for effects sound and uh, Jerry Goldsmith score which it lost fucking all those to et so you know,
2: whatever. this is another one of those things too the score for this movie might as well be forrest gump that is how sweet and beautiful the score to this movie is and they play it at the, yeah they play it at the beginning as they're showing you the neighborhood and then at yeah. the end, you know yeah. after it's all over with it it's just like really yeah but that's what's just so unnerving about it you know
1: yeah i love jerry goldsmith horns i think is kind of the main thing i like in all of his like <laughs> scores in general I like those just Loud, like just kind of horns and everything. So, kind of circling back around to you know some of the controversy. So, this movie you know originally was kind of conceived as a dark follow up to Close Encounters. You know, to go back to that that you mentioned a second ago, you know, Spielberg wanted to do another alien movie because he kind of wanted to get ahead of the whole like let's sequelize everything that he's doing that's a hit. Because Jaws 2, you know, he's not very happy with
2: who was, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, he comes up with. With this kind of idea of a family that is being terrorized by aliens, right? You know, the working title was called Night Skies at the time, but he kind of brought that to Toby Hooper. Um, he initially wanted to direct it, but because of DGA rules, Spielberg wasn't allowed to direct more than one movie at a time, right? And he was about to be directing E.T. So, you know, this was Spielberg's first outing as a producer. He handpicked Toby Hooper because he was so impressed with Texas Chainsaw saw and had liked some of his follow-up stuff like the fun house so he brought toby hooper on and again spielberg wrote this movie developed this movie he was a producer on this movie so he had a very strong hand on this movie oh by the way he's constantly on set because et is having huge delays and et is also only filming like 20 minutes away so he's constantly on set And he's constantly, like, they are doing stuff. This is his first time as a producer. He doesn't really, you know, probably know, uh, you know, how much he should be, should not be doing, etc. And he's just enthusiastic, and he's strong-handed, right? And Toby Hooper is definitely the most soft-spoken kind of puppy dog. Let me just, like, chomp on this cigar and, like, you know, be kind of quiet and, you know, grumble kind of guy. I can understand how some of the, like, misconceptions have kind of grown over the years. But at the end of the day, like, there's just two... Too much Hooper in this movie for it to not be his movie. You know, there's just too much. You know, think about how many movies Spielberg kind of made during that Amblin period that were all about just like loving the suburbs and loving this like nuclear family unit and all this other kind of stuff and like really kind of looking at like modern divorce and all that. And this movie is very much just you know suburbs are terrible. You know, the '80s are kind of a scary time, but it's bringing this family together. You know, at the end of the day, like there's just a lot of Hooper in this movie to the point where like, let's just put all that controversy aside. That's all we're really going to kind of say about it for this show at the end of the day. And I am definitely a Toby Hooper fanboy. Texas Chainsaw is the first episode we did of the show. It's easily the most affecting horror movie that I have ever really experienced. It's still kind of the one that fucks me up to this day. And Poltergeist, I mean, this is one of my personal big ones. This is a movie that I have always loved. I have great affection for. I think it's a big one for a lot It's a big one for a lot of people, yes. Uh, But this is one of my more personal big ones. This is one of my like comfort food movies that I will just put on to like go to sleep to. So, you know, I definitely have a more personal connection to this movie. And, you know, again, definitely Hooper. Celebrity deaths don't really bother me a whole lot. But when Hooper passed, you know, a couple years back, I definitely kind of felt sad about that one because he had made easily the scariest movie I've ever seen and then he made a couple of other movies that I personally was really attached to and he never saw the fruits of his labor. You know, he never really had that second resurgence of appreciation like a lot of these other Master of Horror kind of guys like John Carpenter for instance have been getting in the last couple of years. You know, Hooper is still kind of always like with a big grain of salt for most people you know everybody appreciates Texas Chainsaw and Poltergeist but the rest of his movies are kind of love him or hate him you know but he's one of those guys that I think did a lot of good and I love a lot of his movies and so it was just kind of disappointing to see that he never got the level of recognition that I feel is owed to him you know while he was alive to kind of enjoy that otherwise we also kind of mentioned you know the whole idea of like a curse attached to this movie again just we're going to sidestep that we're not going to really talk about that so you know we'll just skip right on past that whole idea so like i mentioned as far as like the background of the movie they were developing this as like a close encounters follow-up you know hooper basically convinced him to change the story to ghosts instead of aliens so the alien stuff kind of ended up NET and the family in peril stuff kind of ended up in poltergeist. Which I'm glad he, he made that change. I'm glad that this is ghost and not alien. Y- yeah. The, you know, especially up to this point, there weren't that many ghost-centric horror movies. At least not this well received. No, yeah, exactly. Stephen King was originally approached to write this movie, which that would have been like his first direct-to-screen project, so that could have been interesting. Supposedly the basis of this story is rooted in the building of cheese. Park in Denver Uh, Cheeseman okay the contractor there was like the lowest you know bid contractor and he moved the headstones and not the bodies and uh, (laughs) he was caught and arrested but the city didn't have the money to like tear down the building and relocate all the bodies you know so apparently like if you go to Cheeseman Park in Denver you know it's still apparently full of dead bodies and probably haunted as fuck (laughs) originally this movie got an R rating they appealed it and it was reduced to a PG which this is also that weird time where like PG movies could have tits and, like, blood and all kinds of crazy stuff in them. Um, you know, you think of, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark with Nazi heads melting at the end in this movie um, with people peeling faces off and just everything else. PG fun times yeah i i'm kind of surprised by that yeah this movie definitely paved the way for that pg-13 rating though this movie gremlins temple of doom etc is definitely kind of the reason why we have that in between rating you know there are two sequels to poltergeist there is you know also the 2015 remake there is a new remake being developed by the russo brothers right now i personally kind of have a soft spot for the third movie Which has got Nancy Allen and Tom Skerritt and to go back around to Twin Peaks, it's got Lara Flynn Boyle in it when she was very young. Aren't the only two actors that are like in all three of them, Heather O'Rourke and Zelda Rubenstein? Yep. They're the only two that are kind of through the entire series. The third one's weird because the third one is, you know, the whole family unit's kind of upended on that one. And just they're in a skyscraper in Chicago and whatever. But I've got kind of a weird soft spot for the third one. I have not seen the remake from 2015. I have no interest in seeing it, if I'm being honest. I have only heard bad things about it. For someone who, like, watches as much stuff as I do and says constantly, like, yeah, just have some faith, watch this, I'm not interested in that one, so sure, I'm being a hypocrite. If I'm being honest, Poltergeist is one of those series that I would like to see a continuation of now. Like, if we had a 25 years after the last one, 30 years after the last one, kind of, let's pick things back up, Carol Ann is now 45 years old with kids, and things kind of start back up again, like, I'd be down to see that if it's good, but you know overall this movie in general and part of the reason why I wanted to kind of do it as a like Mother's Day special is partly just this is a movie like I said I have a personal connection to with my mom like I have a weird bond with my mom because of this movie because this is one of those that like I remember watching on TV a lot growing up with her you know I definitely remember her telling me that story that she just told us about you know seeing that with my grandfather in the theater so again it's one of those like she saw it growing up so it was okay for us to like maybe watch it a little bit too early (laughs) Um, I see her over there smirking but I have a good personal connection with my mom over this movie specifically weirdly enough but this is also one of the best movies about themes of motherhood and just feminism in general. You know, all three of these female characters in the movie are really the ones kind of driving the plot, driving the decision-making. They're the ones that are, like, actually moving the story and being the ones in action. And it's kind of the love and willpower of these three women, you know, at different stages in life, at different places, kind of all, like, using their feminine willpower to kind of come together and rescue this little girl and just that weird connection of the mother Diane in this movie to Carol Ann and just how like that's the thing that kind of transcends time space the afterlife literally you know the beast you know to kind of come through at the end of the day is pretty great. And on that note
0: Dr. Lush has a much greater part than I thought she would in this movie. I thought she would just be like oh they come in and they're like gone in five minutes. Yeah, yeah they're these three paranormal investigators that think they know what's happening and then they're in over their heads and they get literally scared out of the house or killed off and no like she at least sticks around yeah. and has a pretty big part in the actual investigation yeah she's surprised because it's something they never encountered before but she bounces back and rolls with it and like addresses yeah. the problem
2: yeah and you notice that she didn't go out of her way to tell the family don't worry I'm gonna be back when they're first breaking up and they're gonna go get the new the big head lady to come Right? she hugs the mother and says I'm not leaving you I'm yeah. coming back and we're gonna deal with this and I'm bringing reinforcements Yeah. You know? yeah
0: yeah and on that note, because we may as well just start running through it, um, I'll do my little spiel uh, once again, kind of like I have said with the thing and maybe Texas Chainsaw. But this is one of those movies that I think transcends whether or not it's going to scare you. I think it's just one of those classic movies you have to watch. Yeah. To me, the horror in this movie is more bombastic than actually scary. It's roller coaster. It's horror. roller yeah. coaster horror, but it's not even like Conjuring roller coaster or like sinister roller coaster. It's more just eighties bombastic. <laughs> the entire end is just explosions <laughs> yeah it is dated but it's dated in ways that are very endearing the things that are actually scary to me at least in this movie were the more subtle stuff like the little girl sitting in front of the tv and putting her fi- her hands on it and being like yeah they're here like that stuff is scarier to me than when you actually see crazy shit happening because even when you actually see the beast briefly like it's not really that scary um the clown scene for some could still be a very effective jump scare <laughs> i
2: love the way he says
0: for some yeah, for <laughs> some <laughs> I thought it was going to get me, but I think I'd just seen that scene so many times already out of context that I was just like, sure, I knew it was yeah. coming. But the lead up to that is great. Like the lead up to all no, so that is say, super creepy.
2: The scariest parts of this movie to me are the parts leading up to the clown, the parts leading up to the tree. It's just all of these things, like even just Joe Beth Williams laying in that tub at the end of the movie Yeah, when you sort of think everything's okay, but you know yeah. it's not. Yeah. And You're
1: expecting just so a tub scare and it never waiting. really comes. Oh, yeah.
2: and calm and is like ah, you know that's what's scary bit to me
0: the scariest scene to me is either the first opening scene where the little girl like crawls out of her bed and like is talking to the TV and the dad wakes up to that yeah. or the lead up to the clown jump scare where like you just hear the clown hit the floor by yeah. itself <laughs> and, and you don't see it the little boy doesn't see it you're only seeing him yeah. and then you get it in your head like something's going on with the clown and
1: that alone that's is scary 60 seconds is like such perfect visual oh, filmmaking, where, like, yeah, you only you know hear as a it. kid you've had that same exact experience, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's so good.
2: I watched it last week just with Josiah and watched it on the TV. I watched it today with my headphones on, and you actually hear the clown hit the floor skitter, and then skitter, just scoot, <laughs> yep, scoot. Scoot. And you're like, wait, what?
0: Yeah, the auditory part of that is the scariest <laughs> yes. thing to me, not even the yes. visuals.
2: Where did you go during those three scoots? Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, because it's like a toy story from hell, basically. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like again, anyone who is shy about seeing this, I think you should just suck it up and watch it. Just watch oh, it. Yeah. yeah. The horror is bombastic. This
2: movie was so before the internet and memes and all that kind of stuff, but you have no idea idea how popular they're here became and the other one was don't go into the line oh yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: huge everybody quoted them and used those quotes
1: and it's referenced in so much stuff now yes totally totally so uh, like we mentioned earlier i used to have a lot of movie nights at our college house and we would invite everybody over but i would purposely kind of pick stuff like this that most people either had not seen most people our age rather like either had not seen or maybe Maybe they just caught glimpses of growing up you know so I would kind of host these movie nights and I remember when we first showed this to like maybe like a dozen of our friends like all kind of piled in and we watched it I remember like three or four people afterward being like oh shit I totally get all those Simpsons jokes now <laughs> from right, growing up right. I remember seeing this on Rugrats where they were making fun of it like so many <laughs> benign things had parodied Poltergeist right. at this point that it was it was very much just kind of ingrained into culture you know like you said before like memes and yeah. everything
0: else so again Again, all you cowards out there like me, you should probably just sit down and watch this movie. I think you'll be able
1: to handle it, but it is a, yeah. it is a movie you should at least watch once. It's also kind of one of those fascinatingly Appreciate movies that came out around this time that you can look back at in like a time capsule sense. Another one that I've I, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show before, but Cronenberg's Videodrome is certainly one of those where like you go back and look at that movie now, you know, eighty, eighty one, and you know, shit, they're talking about YouTube. You know, they're literally talking yeah. about the entire idea of like everybody will have their own television channel starring them, and yeah, it'll flow across the airwaves invisibly, and you know, the new flesh and living digitally and all this bullshit, right? You know this movie is kind of the same thing where it's looking at some more I guess maybe like American culture kinds of things you know it definitely kind of looks at like critically before it all really happened but it definitely like kind of saw the like transition of those boomers from the 70s kind of moving into adulthood fully and having kids and moving to the suburbs and life kind of shifting into this weird like enclave like structure where there was all of this like we have to get away from the city and we have to be in like this idyllic safe neighborhood so now everybody has these fucking cookie cutter houses that all look the same and nobody knows their neighbors anymore and we all just kind of like live in these little bubbles um, and don't talk to each other and I mean that's still kind of true like I live in the suburbs now I grew up in downtown of a city yeah I'm in my own bubble yeah it was very neighborhoody when we grew up but you know I live in the burbs now and the burbs are weird I've mentioned that on the show before like I don't, it's still kind of unsettling to me in a weird sort of way and you know we don't talk to our neighbors and we only interact with our neighbors when they're yelling at our dogs and shit like that so you know that kind of energy is definitely in this movie also just that weird kind of fear and fascination with the television as a portal to like a larger world outside of your house you know that whole thing that You know, we grew up on certainly, but mom, you grew up on our grandparents, you know, kind of are like the very, very beginning of that, like people that grew up with a TV in their house and grew up watching TV and how that was kind of your gateway to the outside world and how you experienced a lot of stuff. And, you know, the whole idea of like, oh, just, you know, too much TV is bad and too much exposure is bad. And, you know, that fear and fascination with the TV, like that whole idea is now replaced with our fucking phones in our pockets, right? Like right. it's the same energy, but the method of conveyance has changed essentially, right?
2: Well, you know, my, my dad has told me more than one time and so has my mom that my daddy started dating my mom because her family had a color tv you know
1: (laughs) sounds about right
2: (laughs) right you know and i grew up in an era where we had four stations abc cbs nbc and pbs you could watch you know your pbs stuff and you had a vhf channel and every night, these channels signed out. Yeah. And in fact, I still remember from the time that we moved in this house, so it would have been 20 years ago, 25 years ago, the station's still going off at night with the, the Star Spangled Banner, and then <laughs> you got your static, yeah. you know, for yep. the rest of
1: the night. That was stuff that I did, like, write down while I was rewatching it again. I was like, you know, oh, yeah. no, kids nowadays, like, are going to know what static is, because <laughs> TVs don't do static anymore. Yeah. yeah.
2: It was the first note I wrote down, TVs don't go to static at night anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yep because
0: Aaron and I like we caught the very tail end of like static on TVs but we didn't catch stations going off air we just caught oh you are getting a bad reception you don't have this channel so you see static
1: or at two in the morning the transition to just infomercials because they ran out of programming but it didn't just sign off yeah yeah it was just infomercials at that point but yeah I think you know movies today I think an interesting approach and we're starting to see this in some movies like some movies are kind of finally trying to get around to this and this movie Poltergeist specifically, you know, so many of the weird occurrences kind of come through like the modern conveniences that this family has, you know it's coming through their TV, it's coming through the radios their electronics and all this stuff, but today I think the smart move is just take the like technology concept, right but reverse it, and instead nullify the technology, you know, like your phones don't work, or the internet's out, like just take it out of the equation, and go back to the idea of tangible like relics introducing these like supernatural entities into our life
2: and that in itself is scary to a lot of people. Yeah. The episode of uh, South Park where the internet goes out, within like two hours, there's tumbleweeds going down the street. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. Especially, especially right now with everything going on. Like if, you know, oh, Comcast yeah. went down, half the nation would riot. Oh,
2: my Lord. We'd lose our minds.
1: Even though all we do is bitch about <laughs> Yeah, Comcast. really. Right. But, you know, just the idea of like, you know, what kind of horror movie is like brewing in somebody's mind right now that we're going to oh, see in yeah a year or two about a group of kids who are stuck at home, can't go anywhere, and like, oh, by the way, we happened to find, like, a weird cursed board game in our attic. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Like, just kind of remove the technology aspect and go backward into, like, you know, something physical and tangible, like a book or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Just what this movie was doing where electronics were kind of on the rise throughout the 80s and all these modern conveniences were really becoming, like, every day. You know, like, even to the point where in this neighborhood, like, they all have remotes on the same channels as we see them, they like, can each fighting with team. the TV yeah. remotes, yeah, you know?
2: I made a note about that. I don't even know if that's possible or not.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I don't I, I don't know if IR signals work like that but anyway yeah. yeah but yeah like the the 80s were kind of that weird transition time you know where you had all that stuff you had the boomers moving into the suburbs but there was also just that weird idea and this is what I love about Toby Hooper stuff specifically is his movies aren't fucking safe when you watch a Spielberg movie you kind of know you're in good hands and things are going to end up okay at the end of the day and he's going to take you on a ride and it's going to be kind of scary and thrilling but you're going to be okay right like there's this yeah. that warm like globe that you're in with a Spielberg movie and Toby Hooper is going to munch on his cigar and just be like fuck that you know and just yeah. immediately kids in peril that definitely happens a couple times yeah
0: it's funny too because you could also take this movie like modern and do death of the author to it and be like well at the time when it came out the idea of a TV and every house and all that could be scary to turn it on Said head now you can go back and like you were saying is like now it's considered a relic and in a modern view of this movie you could be like oh that's unknown because it's so old and we've never sure, seen yeah. a,
1: a static TV like that before yeah well yeah like going back to like those analog things yeah yeah, yeah.
2: And did you also notice they had a TV in the den? They had a TV in their bedroom. They had a TV in the kitchen. Yeah, and that was, it was still that, kind of unusual at the time. Yeah, when we were all starting to get them. I mean,
1: on that note too, like you know, and we can kind of dig in this since my mom's on here. But you know, the '80s was also kind of that transition time where you know all these boomer parents finally kind of began going overboard a little bit with the kids' safety. You know, you always hear from our parents and grandparents, especially, like, oh yeah, kids used to just like run the neighborhood and just we wouldn't. Him until the sun was down, and like now you're like stranger dangers everywhere. No, you're not going outside, right. right?
2: I will say this I wrote down several notes while I was watching this again. Today. There's still a lot
1: of child endangerment in like, this movie, yeah. The scene where they just <laughs> yeah. put
2: the son in a cab and are like, Yeah, bye, kids, call then us then when you get there. Yeah, like where's he going? Yeah. Where is he going by himself in a
1: cab? Well, he's going to the grandmother's house, but you still wouldn't just send still, him with like random cabby guy. Seat. Yeah. Right? Oh, no, don't worry. The dog went with him, so he'll yeah. be fine.
0: The,
2: the daughter just comes and goes. And I don't know if you caught it or not, but it, toward the end of the movie when the mother is packing the house up, she says, we're going to the um, Holiday Inn. Yes. And the daughter thinks for a minute. She goes, oh, yeah, I, I remember, remember that, that one."
0: And the mom's <laughs> like, wait, what? what? Yeah, <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God.
2: Because I made a note about the girl when she comes out of the house in her schoolgirl uniform, and all of the construction guys digging the pool are, like, you know, giving her all the catcalls and everything. Oh, yeah. And she turns around and flips the bird on them and all, you know, because she's so like, so casual
1: 80s sexual harassment right. of minors, yeah. But-
2: the mom is just like, silly girl. I mean, she just looks yeah. out the window and just doesn't even care. Yeah,
0: for, ah. for as as great as the female characters are in this movie, that one scene, like you said, is like 80s casual I sexual know. harassment. That's
2: so pretty oh dated. And did you notice that when the mom was cleaning up their room at the beginning of the movie, she is singing a beer commercial? If you've got the time, we've got the beer, Miller Beer.
0: Yes. <laughs> I rewinded twice. I to hear like commercial. what she was singing and i realized it was a beer commercial I th- yeah. yeah i don't think yeah. i've ever paid attention to that one. Oh my
2: gosh i made so many notes like the little boys the room he's got star wars sheets and
1: everywhere and oh pictures
2: yeah and the chewbacca blanket and i
1: want that star wars blanket so bad well, yeah i'm sure that's definitely a good like spielberg pat on the back To his buddy George Lucas, but at the same time, I'm sure that's what every Every 10-year-old boy looked like at the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, like the eighties was kind of a weird transition time where like parents started to go a little bit overboard on kid safety, but in like mostly dumb ways, like removing like the firing missile from Boba Fett action figures and shit like that. But you know, you could still like send your kid off in a cab with a stranger. Just insane stuff like that, where like it wasn't quite like it is now where you have parents just go and super, super overboard. But that whole notion of like stranger danger hadn't quite set in yet. So it's kind of hilarious how they like manage the kids at this point. But Hooper specifically like puts these kids in peril in ways like top to bottom from the beginning of the movie. And that's again, definitely kind of his contribution is taking, you know, a lot of the like soft curved edges off this movie. Just again, kind of hammering home the fact that like, okay, just cause you like all moved out to the suburbs where you think it's all nice and happy and safe clearly like it's you know not quite all it's cracked up to be but
2: you also have to look at the fact that this was a couple who was in their bedroom at the opening scene of this movie
1: still token up yeah she's
2: real she's reading a Carl Jung book you know he's reading about Reagan they're smoking pot his dirty talk is in a Donald Duck voice you know and (laughs) that giant tv on the floor there's no way to see that tv if you're on the bed no it's on the floor and
1: I was thinking that as well but the tv's also like Thirty feet away from the bed, so yeah. I guess you I have to be like laying down and then like leaning off the edge of the bed to see it.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, you'd have to be sitting up straight in bed to be able to see that
0: thing. I honestly appreciate that scene because every other scene they seem even older than like Aaron and I are. But then like when you see that scene and then later on the mom makes her remark about how she's thirty two and they're yeah, our right. age. And it's just like that scene makes them seem like they're still our age and that they were very young parents. That scene tripped me up though. I wasn't expecting it when it happened.
1: Yeah, and you know I have a note about that later too. When they talk about like their ages of the family and everything, like they're my age essentially. Like Heather and I are talking about the idea of kids, right? I can't imagine having like a fucking high schooler,
2: teenager, yeah, right
1: now, <laughs> right? Like I can't imagine yeah. having a like high school age child, let alone three children right now. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. mind boggling to me. I will say, if I
0: had seen this when it came out like nineteen eighty two, if I was like a teenager or in college. When- I saw this, I would be crushing so hard on Joe Beth Williams in this movie.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. hard. Yeah,
2: she was in so many things during the 80s and everything.
1: <laughs> Speaking of, I was watching it last night just to kind of refresh my brain a little bit. Craig T. Nelson comes on, and I know Heather has seen this movie before, but she just walked in and she was just like, oh, is that the coach? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that's the coach, baby. That's the coach, trademark TM.
2: It's all a matter of perspective. Your dad still calls him Rainer Sarnak, because there Was a show where he was like (laughs) an Air Force captain, and that's who he was. It was
1: just like the goofiest alien way. Like, if aliens just watched TV and movies out in space to get an idea of people, just they're going to come down and be like, Who is he? Is he the coach? Is that one the coach? (laughs) Anyway, let's talk through the movie real quick. Um, I'd say, real quick, like wherever, real quick about that. But we start this movie with, you know, that giant dose of irony. Like we mentioned a second ago, we see the national anthem playing over the opening title and ending that day's broadcast and we kind of
2: The American Dream.
1: We cut to the family kind of all passed out in the various rooms of the house and the uh, family dog is wandering through kind of introducing us to each member of the house which the dog's name is E-Buzz. That's a weird dog name. Anyway, the youngest child, Carol Ann, wakes up and like wanders downstairs. She is the living trope of creepy child who is somehow tied to the paranormal. I wouldn't say creepy. She's kind of the definition of the most angelic cute child you can imagine. Yeah. Um, she doesn't yeah. have that like creepy kid vibe to me, even though she does creepy stuff. She does creepy stuff is what more I'm thinking yeah. of, yeah. But yeah, she wakes up, wanders downstairs to the noise of the TV static. Um, and again, it's like this flickery stroby kind of light coming off the TV that's really eerie. And she sits down and just kind of starts talking to the blank TV screen and giggling, kind of loud enough that everybody in the house gradually wakes up and wanders down and they're all just kind of like staring at her in bewilderment as she's like having a full dialogue with the TV static
0: this subtle strange event is scarier to me than any actual like jump scare from a poltergeist in this movie
1: <laughs> yeah this the eerie shit and I, I know I've mentioned this on the show before but one of my little cousins I remember being at their house years back she was little little just walking in the bedroom and her just having like a full-blown conversation with the corner of the bedroom and just being like <laughs> nope and turned right back around and walked. <laughs> out and it's definitely something that we like still joke about. Yeah. I
0: remember when I was really young and my dad and I fall asleep downstairs to the TV and I had the remote because he fell asleep way sooner on the floor and so I was watching whatever I wanted to watch and then next thing I know I wake up at 3 in the morning because I rolled over and hit the remote and like mashed a bunch of buttons as I was falling asleep on the couch and it just went to a TV channel that we didn't have and the static all of a sudden kicks in and I wake up to loud static and scare the shit out of myself basically <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: Carol Ann, um, the youngest child in the family, uh, she is played by Heather O'Rourke. She had been in some TV stuff like Chips, and she was on Happy Days and Webster eventually, and then, of course, the Poltergeist sequels. Um, you know, like we mentioned, you know, she is kind of one of the reasons why this movie got tagged with like the whole idea of a curse. She unfortunately kind of suffered a really untimely death during the third Poltergeist movie. She had been misdiagnosed with Crohn's and ended up with a bowel obstruction that caused her to go into septic shock and then she died of cardiac arrest.
0: Which, when I read about that, that kind of sent a chill down my spine because I do have Crohn's. I was diagnosed years ago. And so, like, when I read that, I was just like, oh, fuck. Um, but from my understanding, too, was she died right at the cusp of her, like she was going on her
1: way to be a big star, right? She definitely was. Mm -hmm. I mean, she, she had been in all three of these movies but everybody was kind of buzzing about her talent at the time and so when this happened it was really tragic and i mean they literally had to shut down production on that third movie and have some serious conversations about like she was only 12 she was 11 or so yeah she was like really young but um they had to have serious conversations around like do we even put this movie out do we even finish this movie like what do we do you know and it sucks because she's definitely one of those people that had a lot of promise and talent and lots of people loved working with her and watching the shutter series cursed films the episode where they talk about poltergeist that's one of the most affecting things is just watching Gary Sherman, the director of the third one, like really kind of having a hard time talking about it because he like ended up being like, I think her godfather and all kinds of other stuff. But yeah, uh, you know, unfortunately this is kind of where her legacy lives on is, you know, in this movie. Um, Drew Barrymore was originally kind of lined up to play this role and instead they like moved her over to E.T. But at the end of the day, you know, we have these three movies with her and that's kind of a good legacy that's kind of set in stone, especially with this first movie. As we kind of see the opening credits roll, um, we are kind of shown the idyllic Cali suburb of Cuesta Verde which was all kind of actually filmed in Simi Valley again like this movie and E.T. were literally filming like 15 minutes apart from each other. And it
0: it is such like suburbia. Hooper really does a great job in these opening credits like Hammer Home like ideal suburb but there still seems like something sinister in the
1: background. Yeah everything just being so like plain and samey and Cookie Cutter and you know there's kind of fun stuff happening like obviously the kids playing in the street and chasing the like one schlubby dad who's like riding his kid's bike to the store to get beer so he's not going to drive. Uh, you know, there's like goofy fun stuff like that to kind of set up this environment, but it's still just kind of like a weird vibe at the end of the day. You know, again, the TV remote bit that we were joking about is kind of funny. The dad's all like watching football and the station's changing accidentally. It was pretty great to see a Mr. Rogers uh, cut in as well. Yeah. By the way, our New Orleans connection there, uh, that game's a uh, Saints versus Rams game. So fun yeah. times. Yeah. But this is definitely kind of where we are introduced to the whole dynamic of this couple you know steve the dad is just watching football with all of his bros meanwhile diane is kind of the one who's wandering the house picking up after the kids taking care of the actual day-to-day life stuff and not that steven's like a bad guy but he's just kind of the like dad in the background who like goes to work does his thing comes home and just that's kind of
0: it Uh, and i thought for a second they're gonna set up to like oh he kind of sucks as a dad and as a husband but like no he's never a bad dad yeah he turns out to be a great guy and
1: they seem to have a great relationship and he's good with the kids so but yeah you're right he's ultimately an ineffectual dad you know like it's really Diane who's running the show and kind of holds the entire family together at the end of the day but he's not like the bad dad trope that we kind of have in a lot of these movies. Yeah, no, he's still very capable, but
0: like, I mean, even this opening scene, like you said, shows that really at the end of the day, Diane is the one running the show. Yeah.
2: I think just sort of the the easygoing, laid-back way that everything in their house happens is just setting up that they're totally unprepared for anything bad to happen because their life is just normal and average and goes on and they are so not ready for what's about to happen.
1: Yeah. If we're kind of getting real... In this moment unfortunately a lot of people are kind of experiencing that right now where you know with everything that's happening at the moment some people are kind of getting that reality check and it's going to kind of change a lot of people's outlooks but luckily it's not as drastic as like oh yeah by the way your house is haunted as fuck and the beast is kidnapped your well, children Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little, little worse but at the end of the day like that whole dynamic still of just the ease of life that you settle into in the suburbs and how that's kind of the easiest let your guard down down for all the bad things to kind of get in.
2: They're also setting up the neighborhood to be an idyllic place to live. That's what the whole movie's totally, about.
1: Totally, yeah. So you never expect that something bad is happening under the surface. Right. Yeah. So yeah, Diane is kind of wandering the house and picking up after the kids, but she discovers that the family bird has died. Chuck up another movie that <laughs> fucks up a pet. At least the dog didn't die this yeah, time. Yeah, I was scared the dog, the dog, the dog was
0: gonna also die, but again. A A bird died. A bird died and like within 10 minutes. But did we
1: ever see the bird truly live? No. No we didn't. Also like who the hell has a pet bird in their bedroom? I can't imagine just how bad that like bird cage full of shit and just tweet 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 just constantly no. No thanks.
2: Also I will tell you this no woman on the face of the planet would put a parakeet down a toilet. There's no way it would have clogged that toilet up.
1: So yeah on that note Carol Ann catches Diane like right as she's about to flush this bird whoops and um carolyn kind of in her kid way demands like okay we need to like have this full service burial for burial. and that was what the mom you know was trying to avoid. yeah so they they put the bird in a cigar box who knows probably one of toby hooper's actual cigar boxes and you know they put a little snack in there for him and a flower so it smells okay and a little blanket just it's the cutest thing right even though it's mm-hmm. a funeral yeah carolyn is being adorable but it is still a yeah funeral. so they go out back they bury the box in the garden. The other two kids are kind of rolling their eyes about it as they're like drugging into the whole thing. And, um, you know, the little son, Robbie, he climbs this like gnarly old tree that's in their backyard and um, sees kind of a storm rolling in. So to kind of back up, Diane, the mom in the movie, played by Jo Beth Williams. She was in Kramer versus Kramer. She was in Stir Crazy. Great prior wilder movie and uh craig t nelson which we'll get to in a second he was also in that she was in the big chill here's our batman the animated series connection she did the voice of siamese twins may and june in the episode sideshow which was like a killer croc episode so
0: interesting um you don't want to know the first movie i can
1: remember seeing her in as a kid jungle to jungle yeah buddy
2: that was was it
1: more recently she was in Dexter a good bit she's definitely one of those actresses that like I wish we could see more of but Hollywood being what it is there's not a lot of roles given to older women and that's still kind of one of those unfortunate things Tuesday Weld was originally considered for this role, so that could have been real different. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Stephen Freeling, played by Craig T. Nelson, that role was originally offered to Joe Spano from Hill Street Blues. So again, this movie could have been real different, completely different. I'm glad the casting went the (laughs) way. Yeah, and everybody in this was very unknown at the time for the most part, and with the exception of Craig T. Nelson and kinda Joe Beth Williams, nobody. In this movie like none of the kids really kind of went on to do anything else you know for very unfortunate reasons you know so that's part of why this movie still works because it's not like at the time oh we're seeing these big stars in this movie and even when you go back and watch it now you're not like oh yeah there's a young Tom Cruise playing right. the 10 year old son this, you know that and the
2: other. you still just associate them with that with movie. This movie Yeah, that is the only thing I ever associate the little girl and the, the little brother with
1: yeah well the brother is played by by Oliver Robbins, he was definitely not in much else past this point. Yeah. He was in a, a movie very similar to Poltergeist, oddly enough, called, I think, like, Nighttime or something like that. And, unfortunately, the older sister Dana was played by Dominique yeah. Dunn. Yes. And she is kind of also where some of this whole idea of the curse is centered because, you know, a month or so after the debut of the movie, she was murdered by kind of her shitty, jealous boyfriend that she had broken up with. And yeah, that is a really strange... That's a wild story. Yeah. He, yeah. like, fucking story, strangled yeah. her on, like, the front lawn of her friend's house and that kind of crazy shit.
2: I remember when that happened.
1: But she was uh, the daughter of Dominic Dunn, who is an author, producer kind of guy, and she's the sister of Griffin Dunn, um, uh-huh. who we have talked about on this show, who's in American Werewolf. So, you know, kind of a weird story there, and this is still her only theatrical role. But yeah, Craig T. Nelson plays Stephen in this movie. He started off... In in a lot of horror, oddly enough. He was in Return of Count Yorga, Scream, Blackula Scream, which I watched a while back and talked about on the show. He was in Flesh Gordon, Private Benjamin, Stir Crazy, again, Silkwood, Killing Fields. He plays the bad guy in Action Jackson, by the way. and He's great. Just like, imagine Craig T. Nelson, like sweaty, shirtless, fighting Carl Weathers. <laughs> Troop Beverly Hills, Turner and Hooch. I mean, he's been in tons of, and obviously like Coach, you know, and he's the voice of Mr. Incredible and in the Incredible*. Yeah, too, so. um, the
0: first movie I saw Craig T. Nelson in was as the bad guy in Turner and Hooch because my dad
1: yep. loves that movie and he used to play it all the time when I was younger. Oh, yeah. That's we one we watched a lot.
2: I think we saw it at the theater.
1: Probably you so, yeah. I mean. As if this child, Carol Ann, isn't cute enough. Again, she's kind of shown to be overly empathetic toward the bird. It's weird that like she's so like, oh God, we got to like make things good for this dead bird. But then she's also still like Teflon enough as like a little kid that like things just kind of come in go that she's already just like can I have a goldfish oh, yeah. like that line can still kills me just like can I have a goldfish <laughs> I was
0: waiting for that part though like where like they all turn around and then like they look at Carol Ann again and the birds in her hand chirping look yeah. mommy he was just as sl- I was waiting for like that horror trope to fucking happen yeah
1: yeah the the bird does not come back to life no uh-huh. but they do get a goldfish like I mentioned a second ago you know Robbie's room is full of Star Wars shit which is great and then uh, the other thing that I found funny too is and this is definitely definitely again like you can't tell me that Hooper's not kind of got his fingers in this if you look at all the posters up in the room it's all Star Wars posters and it's a couple of posters that like I had growing up for sure but then there's a poster for fucking alien up in these like <laughs> fucking eight year old kids that. room yeah which that is the most violent dark sexually weird kind of you know more adult movies that there's no way that these little kids watch but they have a poster up for it in their bedroom so yeah. the like juxtaposition of like the warm and cuddly like Star Wars that every kid had at the time with penis alien movie with chest bursters and everything is kind of great. And again, that's definitely like Toby Hooper's kind of dark humor showing through. One last note before we go on. I love water tank effects. This is just like one of those dumb, like old school special effects things that they don't fucking do anymore. Cause it's all CGI. I love water tank effects. Like when you see the storm kind of like rolling into the neighborhood, yeah. that's all opticals done where they literally just take like a giant fish tank of water and they drop ink and milk and all kinds of other like cloudy stuff like that. And they put a camera like right up to the glass and shoot it and slow it down and then superimpose that onto the sky And you see that in, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark when they're opening the Ark at the end of the movie and, you know, all the clouds and stuff. Like, that's all these, like, water tank effects. So that's, like, one of those old-school effect things that I, like, really, really have a soft spot for. Um, And there's lots of good, like, matte paintings in this, too. Like, the scene of them at the cemetery, you know, later in the movie is all just, like, a fake painting cemetery that they just kind of stitched in. It doesn't look good now for the most part, but it's still stuff that I kind of have a soft spot for. It works for this movie, I think. It's gonna be fun, like, later if we have kids, like, sit down, show them this, and kind of explain, like, yeah, this is how they used to make movies before you could just do it in a computer and then, like, done, whatever. And, and Mom, I've mentioned this on the show before. One thing I do appreciate is you recorded a lot of behind-the-scenes special effects. How did they make this movie kind of shit for me growing up that I definitely, like, watched over and over and over and over and have a huge soft spot for. And this is, like, all the kind of stuff that, like, I really appreciate now that I'm older that, like, I know how all that works. And that's the stuff that like really got me into like movie making i mean i remember watching the making of honey i shrunk the kids a thousand oh, yeah. times growing up yeah
2: i loved that kind of stuff
1: but yeah later that night carolyn you know we cut to her with her new fish so that was pretty quick to run down the store and grab some <laughs> goldfish i guess Robbie is kind of staring out the window and getting creeped out by the giant gnarly tree that's right by their window and it's kind of foggy and stormy out. They go to bed Diane turns on the closet light for them um, which funny enough that like the closet now is kind of their like one little like weird safety net that they have in their dark scary bedroom and yet later we know it's going to happen with that closet. Yeah. <laughs> I also love to Robbie staring out the window at that foggy rainy tree. I mean like that's you know every kid growing up you have the creepy like shadows and trees scratching against the window kind of fears but I, just the way that it's shot it reminds me so much of Hooper's Salem's Lot from a couple of years prior to this I mean the scariest fucking thing out of that movie that everybody talks about and it's definitely one of those scary things that I remember seeing because Salem's Lot was on TV Lot is the one kid waking up in the middle of the night hearing his you know name being called and like he opens the window and his friend is all vampire eyes and like floating and scratching at the glass you know waking him up like that's just still one of those terrifying things Um, And this is kind of shot the same way where he's kind of seeing his reflection in the glass and then the tree and it's all flashing with the lightning.
2: Okay, so I have two things to say about this tree. Well, three, actually. First of all, I was terrified of the tree. The tree and the clown were the two things in the movie that terrified me. Number two, if this kid is so scared of this tree, why don't they ever just shut the curtains? Yeah. Why is he sleeping next to this giant open I thought the same thing. I don't understand this. I thought the same thing. And third of all... When the dad comes in to comfort him, I actually had to write this down. The dad says to him, but honey, I specifically built the house next to this tree for protection.
1: (laughs) This giant dead tree. (laughs)
2: dad.
1: Yeah, Yeah, way to go.
2: (laughs) Whoa, great job, dad. Yeah. Oh, my gosh.
1: (laughs) By the way, Heather O'Rourke IRL kept the goldfish, so that's cute. So, then, yeah, we cut to Diane and Steve hanging out in the bedroom. This is one of those scenes that, like, I definitely didn't appreciate until I was older. And I honestly don't know if I remember them showing this in, like, the cable broadcast because they're, you know, token up and talking about a time where, like, maybe Diane was almost sexually molested when she was a child getting picked up by strangers and how that was just yeah, kind of like... they're
2: just joking about that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: they were pretty lighthearted about that. <laughs> but just the whole, like... Like, what a different time it was. And I mean, I guess it's kind of rolled back around to that now that marijuana has just kind of become mainstream again. It's not the dirty thing that teenagers do. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, I got my medical marijuana card and I'm suburb yuppie now. And, you know, it's just kind of come back around to be mainstream again. It did kind of kill me how, like, Craig T. Nelson's laying on the edge of the bed rolling joints. And when he gets up, there's just so much did tumbleweed all over the comforter. <laughs> oh, his boat, yeah. all
2: over the covers. Yes, <laughs> Well, I, I can assure you, your dad and I are not laying around smoking pot in the bed. So, just well, just so that you... I don't know.
0: It might do him trial. some good. Now, the question is, did Toby Hooper have them actually smoking weed? Because they do a pretty good no. job of being high.
1: No. I, like, with all the weird safety shit happening in this movie, which I'll mention later, like, nah, I, they, they were probably just smoking tobacco. But it does crack me up that this is kind of the, like, dichotomy of the 80s, where Steve is definitely kind of getting into that... In- Interested in Reagan kind of going down that route, and then Diane is kind of going in the opposite direction, reading her like child psychology books from you know young and everything else. Also, too, like this movie came out in eighty two, they filmed it in probably eighty one. What the hell was even in that Reagan book by this point? That book's about to get a lot thicker, you know what I mean? Like that at this point, it was probably just pushing anti union propaganda. So I, you know, I don't know what the book would have <laughs> been about at that time, but just them hanging out. You know, they're talking about Carol Ann's recent odd behavior and just fears that like she might injure herself during the construction of their new pool and all that and that's one of those things like we didn't grow up with a pool that's never crossed my mind you know but like watching this movie like yeah I guess if you have little kids you gotta teach them like pool safety so they don't trip, fall in and die at three in the morning this scene between them is really endearing like as an adult going back and kind of looking at and just how much chemistry there is between the two of them and their playfulness and just that back and forth that really intimate couples have, where they trust each other, and that kind of chemistry, like on a set between actors who don't know each other, is very rare to find. Um, and it's just kind of one of the things that makes the movie that much more like realistic and relatable, even if you're not like smoking weed in your bedroom. Other weird side note too: the movie that they're watching is A Guy Named Joe, which is specifically about a dead fighter pilot who's assigned to be like the guardian angel spirit for another pilot. So that's what that because at first I thought it was a
0: uh, Twilight Zone episode. It has a lot of the similarities to Twilight Zone, I feel yeah, like. Yeah,
1: and A, that's already about spirits kind of guarding the living and all this other stuff, but the other weird connection is Spielberg remade that movie in 89, as always, which he'd originally hired the two guys that like wrote the screenplay for Poltergeist again like Spielberg and Hooper hashed out the treatment and the kind of the roundabout idea but Michael grace and Mark Victor are the ones who actually like wrote the screenplay apparently he had originally hired them to do this remake of A Guy Named Joe and they were kind of like uh you got that spirit movie and you've got this spirit movie we'd rather do the scary one so he just kind of shifted them over to the ghost story instead so yeah that's always is basically kind of directly linked to that.
0: I think Always is also like either the last
1: movie or one of the last movies of uh, Audrey Hepburn. Yes um, I believe you're correct on that too But yeah, too, like we kind of go back to the thunderstorm scene. The kids kind of start freaking out and Steven goes in there and comforting Robbie and he teaches him that thunderstorm trick with counting and everything that we all kind of know from growing up. But that moment, too, of him with the kids, you know, as much as I talked earlier about him, like, ultimately kind of being an ineffectual dad, not a bad dad, but just he kind of drops the ball in a bunch of key scenes. This is kind of that one moment that I, like, really like with him and Robbie and Carol Ann. Like, it reminds me a lot of that moment from Jaws with Brody and Michael sitting at the dinner table and you know everything that Brody's doing like with his hands Michael's imitating and just like that energy of that scene is so good and that's still like one of the scenes in Jaws that really sticks with me and like kind of brings me to tears every time I see Jaws no matter how many times I've seen it but like that moment in this movie is pretty adorable especially with Carol Ann like being on the phone um, and just that like to
2: call you back
1: Can you call him back? <laughs> Just, like, the way that she, like, does it on the phone is the cutest thing. <laughs> So, the movie does a lot of really, really good work establishing goodwill with these characters and this family and making you really care about them because a different movie would make you hate this family. It would make the kids annoying and doing bad stuff and the parents would be like in the middle of a divorce and yelling at each other and there would be like all kinds of strife in like most other movies. Frankly, a Spielberg movie around this time would have... Have that dynamic. You know, like, you think about E.T. It's all about these parents getting divorced and the kids dealing with it. Close Encounters is, like, literally about a family getting torn apart by, like, a dad obsessing about UFOs. You know, so the fact that, like, this movie very much makes you care about these characters, and so that you are, like, really invested in, like, everything that happens from this point on with them. It's such good filmmaking, and it's so again, kind of contrary to what you see in so many other horror movies.
2: Did you notice, though, that from the very moment that the weird little thing started happening, no one really went through any kind of a struggle over believing that it was happening. Or what was it? It was just like, watch these chairs. Watch Carolyn fly across the floor. Yeah. Watch. I, a spoon got bit. A fork got bit. I wrote a note. You know the fight that the kids are having at the breakfast table? Yeah. And then the kid's glass breaks all of a sudden?
1: Everybody's just kind of like, oops. I <laughs> yeah.
2: rewound that seven or eight times. Nothing happens to break that No,
1: no, the it just explodes. Yeah, it
2: just explodes explodes off the bottom, and the mom doesn't freak out about there being glass everywhere or anything. She's just like, oh, mom, let me clean it up. Yeah. Like, she waits for them to have this whole fight before she even says anything. Most moms would just, like, wig out over glass being broken everywhere, and then the forks get bent. He doesn't even tell anybody, you know. And then when Craig T. Nelson comes home and she shows it to him, there's never any big freaking out about any of this. It just seems to be very, oh, this is what's happening in our house. Everybody
1: is kind of experiencing things separately to a point, but I do love that Diane is initially fascinated like she doesn't just immediately jump to like oh right. what the shit's going on in my house like so many other movies she do she doesn't see
2: it as something scary yeah
1: but Steven on the other hand he is immediately like what's going on I don't like any of this you know he's the one that's like immediately untrusting of all of it but none of them spend much time being skeptical which I do yeah. appreciate right
2: cause they go right to calling some people in there's
1: not 30 minutes of the movie with like boy who cried wolf kind of stuff going on to the poltergeist credit Shit happens a lot
2: Right They didn't go through A whole bunch of Scenes of trying to figure out If it could be something else They went straight To paranormal
1: Yeah So Later that same night We kind of get a repeat of the beginning of the movie The anthem Starts playing Concludes the broadcast day Cuts to static The two youngest kids Are like In bed with the parents And I love that like You know We see them in bed And you think they're fine And then that hard cut To like boom Both the kids in bed With the parents Yeah But yeah Caroline crawls out of bed again And kind of becomes fixated On the TV In that creepy way and this time, like, we, the audience, are like actually hearing like whispers, and you're seeing static. Pops like emanating from the TV and then all of a sudden whoosh this big animated ghostly hand springs out of the TV this weird kind of spirit hovers over the rest of the family in bed like it looks like it's observing them and kind of like looking them over and then that energy like blasts itself into the wall of the house right above the TV right above the bed bed. Yeah, yeah the bed where everybody's laying and the whole house like begins to shake and you know everybody wakes up and that's where of course the like big line comes or Carol Ann turns around the rest of the family yeah. is awake now and just you know they're here and that's when I would be like time to leave right. yeah, bye. <laughs> yeah, bye. But even like
0: Carol Ann
2: she's like five or six she's not scared of any of this
1: not at all yeah not at
2: all she's just fascinated by it any other kid would be like terrified that the TV is talking to yeah. me nope. Well,
0: later on they say that the beast is taking a form that is tricking her seems yes. like another yeah. child
2: yeah. Yeah. yes just appears like another child to her, exactly. It
1: could also just be one of those things where, again, like, all of this is normal to her. She was born in the house, which they mentioned later. Like, this whole, like, suburb life, the house, the environment they live in, all of it's normal. You know, there's never been anything odd happen that she's experienced yeah. before, so it's all just new and fascinating in that kid way. There's no context for how this should be scary. Because she could have been talking to TV for a while now. Yeah, and- who exactly.
2: Knows? Who knows?
1: Anyway, yeah, the other thing I like, too, I love that pool of water effect that's on the wall that energy zaps into and then we cut to the next morning which this level of chaos is the visual storytelling stuff that I love in movies where there's just so much going on and every time you watch it there's like a new detail to kind of pay attention to in the background and there's just so many things happening on top of each other it's just a great way to kind of show the chaos of the film and you can imagine like this is what every morning is like for them going through the routine and getting ready and then of course everybody like spreads out goes to school goes to work and it's just Diane and Carol Ann. But yeah, we like see, you know, all the kids eating breakfast and, you know, kind of tease fighting each other. Like we mentioned, Robbie's glass of milk just fucking explodes everywhere.
2: <laughs> Nobody <laughs> yeah. questions
1: everybody's it. just like, oh, well. His utensils bend unexplained. Yeah, and again, that's the kind of thing where, like, again, if you're Diane, you see all these bent up forks, you'd just be like, God damn it, Robbie. <laughs> the construction <laughs> team is like going full blast in the backyard digging their pool. Steven's yelling on the phone, kind of going back and forth with his boss about being late because of the like tremors the night before you know all this other stuff but we do see a Kind of a brief moment where the construction guys dig up a giant chunk of the backyard and the dead bird cigar box falls out. Womp womp. So, you know, <laughs> womp womp.
2: Hashtag foreshadowing.
1: Yeah, really. You know, at this point, kind of in the midst of all this chaos, Diane is like the one steady, calm force that's keeping cool and like making sure everything is kind of getting taken care of. But, you know, she does ask Carol Ann, like, what did you mean the night before, you know, when you said them? Who's they? What are you who are you talking about? And, of course, Carol Ann's just like, oh, the TV people you know whatever <laughs> <laughs> that's when i would move the tv out of the room <laughs> yeah i also love that moment too where carol ann's like face right up into that kitchen tv like watching the static oh, yeah and it takes a couple of beats before diane notices it and again i love that like she walks over flips it to like a war movie with people getting shot and explosions she's like oh yeah don't stand in the tv it's bad hold on click bad for here your you go eyes. <laughs> So, you know, yeah, that's, again, some, like, Toby Hooper commentary right there. Just, here, kid, watch Vietnam happening in front of you, and (laughs) don't worry about being traumatized by that. Oh, and then Diane turns around and then turns back around, and all the chairs are fucking stacked up on the table. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's a moment of really simple trickery that I love. All the chairs are kind of like pulled out from the table and she turns around, bends down, gets some cleaning products and the camera kind of like follows her. And then of course, when she stands back up, poof, all the chairs are up on the table, stacked up in like a giant pyramid configuration. And she just kind of has that moment of, uh... What just happened? And Carol Ann's just sitting there the whole time, just like munching down some, you know, snacks, just kicking her feet. Just like, yep, whatever. TV people. <laughs> yep, that was the TV people. <laughs> yeah.
2: They do that exact same thing in The Sixth Sense in the kitchen. Yeah. With the drawers coming open and the doors coming open and everything. She turns around and bam, they're like, everything's all there.
1: Yeah. And it's just as simple as a bunch of, you know, crew members like swapped the tables within that like seven second window. Yeah. But it's such good filmmaking because, again, you're not expecting that at all like context of that scene and the way that it's kind of leading you you're not expecting that to be the thing at the end of the day but yeah Diane also kind of notices like the dog acting strange like barking at the spot on the bedroom wall and it seems to be like taking commands and like brings a toy and is doing that dog attention thing like so there's definitely like some weird benign kind of stuff going on that she just kind of thinks is interesting but not like immediately seems threatened by
2: I don't know know if you remember this or not because I don't think you were still living in the house at the time but when we used to babysit my friend Heidi's dog Petey Petey would go in Josiah's room and stand at the corner of his room at the very corner of the house and bark at the corner just sit there and bark and bark and bark at that corner every time Petey came over and every time it reminded me of poltergeist yeah but
1: wasn't that dog blind
2: (laughs) doesn't matter that dog was barking at that same corner every time like there was something in that corner and um uh, it reminded me of that dog on the on the bed in poltergeist
1: uh. So, there's another great scene, too, where Diane goes downstairs and catches one of the construction workers snaking through through the kitchen window, and, again, kind of another one of those, like, weird, like, oh, you crazy guy, and just kind of chastises him.
2: It's literally the third thing she does in a row. Like, she doesn't react to that glass getting broken, then she doesn't react to the daughter getting flirted at, and then she doesn't react to the guy just eating food through the kitchen window. And,
1: like, eating and food in the coffee. rudest. Way like just yes! drinking her coffee out of the cup, eating the like chili right off the um, spoon, spoon, and then putting
0: it back in, back, <laughs> in. Yeah. back
2: in the pot. Like yeah. people nowadays would be suing the company. Yeah,
1: but again, that's that's some of that like Hooper dark humor for sure. This is where she notices that the dining room chairs are pulled out, and Carolina, of course, denies that she did it course she didn't. I, I love to. We go to a scene where Stephen is like showing off one of the other houses in the development because he's a realtor, and part of the bag is like they have lived here from the beginning in this whole development and he is selling off you know all the other houses in this whole area and his boss is kind of the guy running the whole thing but he's showing another couple an identical house to his like it even has like this dissolve cut from like their kitchen to the next yep to that next one that's exactly the same and i love just some of the comments from this couple they're like oh you live in that you know the first he's like yeah i live in the first area oh the one with the lived in look (laughs) And, of course, he's just like, oh, yeah, but that's how this one will look in just a couple of shit. (laughs) Just all of that, like, putting his foot in his mouth is pretty great. But, yeah, he arrives home. Diane kind of, like, runs out and meets him in the driveway. And she's, like, really excited, like, freaking the hell out and dragging him inside as he's still holding on to the garbage can and another, like, bit of good humor. But she shows him the, like kinetic anomaly in the kitchen that she and Carol Ann have been clearly playing with all day and kind of like we were saying they're both just kind of fascinated with it but Carol Ann's a little over it (laughs) but I love too that she shows Steve the chair she puts the chair in this circle that she kind of chalked off and the chair just kind of wiggles and then like zips across the kitchen on its own and at that point he's kind of like wait nah like this isn't normal this is weird what's going on and I love how he still sidesteps the chalked off area It's it's Just one of those things, <laughs> yeah. like if you didn't think anything was weird about it, you just walk to the other walk side of the right kitchen. But it, I love yeah. that he still just kind of tiptoes weird because <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those, like, uh, don't touch that, that's weird kind of things. But again, Carol clearly just become like bored with the whole thing. She's complaining about, like, I'm hungry, I want pizza. Yeah,
2: one of my favorite lines is when Carol does the scoot across and she goes, Something like it burns my butt or something like that. And the mom goes, Yeah, I need to wax
1: the floor. Yeah, <laughs> I also love. I love how Diane primes Steven for this scene. She just she says something along the lines of like Oh yeah Remember years ago Like back to the beginning of Remember when you Used to have an open mind About <laughs> things <laughs> But she's definitely like More fascinated With what's going on She's not like Immediately terrified Like oh god We gotta fucking move You know With the whole thing Steve's getting that way For sure Yeah But that night Another storm Kind of rolls in
0: Oh boy This shit hit the fan Real quick
1: Yeah this is where like It starts getting real We're about 20 minutes in And the poltergeist Are really Kicks up. Yeah. So Robbie is kind of trying to do the same, like, count the thunderstorm away trick that Steven taught him earlier, but kind of the whole scene builds up and all of a sudden that big gnarly tree smashes through the bedroom window and pulls Robbie outside like literally like the the branches are like arms and it just kind of grabs him and yanks him out and Diane and Steve like rush upstairs because they hear the yelling and screaming but they get there just in time to see the tree like yanking him out which again (laughs) if you see that you'd be like what the fuck right like this tree just pulled my kid outside but they run downstairs and this is where a lot of that tension like especially that like family and parental tension kind of comes in like okay we gotta go save this kid but then we have to leave this other one by herself now and like what choice do you make there you know and at this point you know the one kid's in immediate danger so they go downstairs and outside to help robbie steven's climbing the tree trying to get him and this tree is in going back to evil dead like fucking evil dead style like eating this kid yeah
2: yes <laughs> it's like
1: opened up and swallowing this A tornado kid. is in the distance about to come for her uh-huh. yeah as all this chaos is going on outside in the backyard, a big, bright portal like, opens up in the closet of the kid's bedroom which again that closet's kind of this important safety net ritual that they have before they go to bed where they like put the closet light on it's kind of a night light but now it's the thing that's trying to get her but it's sucking all the toys all the furniture and everything in the room into this vortex Then it's cutting back and forth between like Carol Ann literally like getting pulled into the closet and then this tree eating Robbie
2: I have one comment about her moment going into the closet did you happen to notice the massive amount of glitter glitter and leaves that comes out <laughs> from underneath her bed yeah, yeah. <laughs> just sucks out from underneath her bed like she had a glitter store underneath there
1: everything is getting just sucked into this closet and again like this is one of those scenes where like safety was a different kind of concern in 1980s filmmaking um because they're literally hanging this little girl upside uh-huh. down like in yes. a set that's fleeting. Up because they have right. her like hanging from the bed and apparently she was like so terrified during that scene they had to like cut it. Hooper and Spielberg both like kind of just went and like hugged her for a little while and like promised her, like yeah you're not gonna do that again just you know we'll we'll figure that out. And later in the movie it's clearly just a doll with motorized legs and a wig on like it's definitely like not at all her anymore but you know kid safety stuff. To her credit she does look
0: legitimately terrified in some oh, of those yeah. cuts. Oh yeah oh
1: yeah but yeah like the wicker bed. Bed frame breaks and Carol Ann is sucked into the closet. Um, you know, and right at that moment, Stephen, you know, manages to get Robbie from the tree just in time. And the tornado, like you mentioned, rips the tree out of the ground and like kind of sucks it up into this tornado vortex. And then at
2: which point the teenage daughter walks outside and says, oh, look, a tornado. A tornado. <laughs> <laughs> this is like her whole entire interaction with this whole scene yeah. that's happened.
1: But yeah, it's kind of a weird came and went with no real provocation just tornado that tore up three houses and conveniently only pulled the tree out of this one house everybody rushes upstairs to check on Carol Ann and of course she's nowhere to be found this is you know one of those early kind of moments where they think she's underneath these blankets the kind of the bottom of the pile of toys and everything and of course it's the creepy clown doll which for some reason is in these kids fucking room always just propped up in the corner on a chair Mm -hmm. but immediately their fears of the pool kind of resurface so they like run back outside again and they're swimming around in the muddy water because this pool's unfinished. It's literally just a giant hole in the mud in the backyard. And Robbie who's still inside upstairs, he's in the parents' bedroom covered in like tree guck.
2: Oh, it, it was hideous. <laughs> it was like chocolate pudding.
1: Yeah. He starts hearing Carol Ann's voice coming through the static of the bedroom TV and he starts screaming and like alerts Diane. They rush upstairs and she also kind of hears Carol Ann's voice coming from the TV. That's where they realize like something's fucking weird going on but that scene with Robbie like with that strobe of the TV flashing and him having that like choked I gotta scream but I can't really scream and I can't really say what uh, I want to say that yeah. like, kind of scream that is terrifying that's some yeah. good kid acting but yeah like that choice between like having to pick do I go try to help this one kid or do we stay with this other kid do we both go do we both stay do we split up you know that whole like split second parent decision making kind of stuff if we're going to talk about like real life fears that stuff that people definitely have to deal with from time to time and like that's bleh, I'm
2: also not sure that they really realized how much danger Carol Ann was in. Well not at all yeah
1: I don't think they, they, they did. They never
2: would have thought that that yeah. was going to happen. But
1: they just left the her The son yeah. was
2: automatically in immediate danger and the teenage girl was still in the house so you would think she'd be in there helping her but yeah. nope she was on the phone I guess I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah sometime later you know we kind of guess it's maybe a few days later Steve who's looking rough as hell at this point. Yeah, I don't know if that's makeup or they just had <laughs> Craig T. Nelson like, don't
0: sleep for the next 24 hours. Yeah,
1: method acting. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he goes to UC Irvine and kind of goes to talk to this group of parapsychologists, which I'm sure this exists in real life. You know, obviously they're not as cool as movies, but I love that like so many movies in the 80s had the idea of like these parapsychologists that work at a university. A like university this movie Ghostbusters <laughs> another movie that kind of gets brought up in context of this movie a lot is The Entity you know same idea oh my there Lord,
2: The Entity scared the Bukaka out yeah of
1: me. don't oh don't say Bukaka mom um anyway <laughs> well, Um cut that out then <laughs> the uh, well, and
0: they, they, at least this movie makes an effort to be like, oh, we're actually part of the psychology department. We're yeah. kind of doing this as like a side It's more tag. legit. Yeah. It's yeah. not
1: Bill Murray hitting on graduate students, but uh, I love that whole idea that was definitely like prevalent in a lot of 80s movies of just like, yeah, there are actual scientists that study ghosts and shit and just, okay. Um, now it's one of those like tongue in cheek kind of things where it's some schlubby guy who does it out of basement so this new group of characters so it's Dr. Lesh, Ryan and Marty. Stephen convinces them to like come to the house and actually kind of investigate what's going on with really the primary mission finding Carol Ann right? So Beatrice Strait is the other actress in this movie that kind of plays the second kind of major female pillar of this movie that we're introduced to she's kind of sort of based on the couple that the Conjuring movies are about. I can't remember their names off the top of my head now but like the husband- wife parapsychology team that investigated hauntings. She's kind of, sort of... The Warrens. The, Warrens, the yeah. Warrens, yeah. She's she's like the Warrens if, like, they were legit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's kind of modeled in that same way, right? She's kind of got that motherly, almost grandmotherly kind of feel to her, but she's very like, sincere and genuine and believes in, like, what she's doing. Um, it's not like a grifty kind of thing like we would get in other movies, but Beatrice Straight, I kind of looked her up. I wasn't familiar with a lot of her stuff outside of, uh, network but she was in lots of tv she was in network bloodline power she's been in some other stuff but network's really the only thing i remember seeing her in explicitly she's
2: mostly a theater actress that's why that's
1: why I know her. This role was originally offered to Shirley MacLaine, apparently, which, again, this movie could have been way different. Yeah. And Shirley MacLaine opted to instead be in terms of endearment, which, you know, that worked out for her. Oh, you think? Marty, he was originally supposed to be William Finley, who had been in Toby Hooper's "Eaten Alive in the Funhouse previously. Um, He was also in Phantom of the Paradise. That would have been fun to see him in this Marty role because he's just one of those character actors that I like a lot. And interestingly, again, in this scene we kind of get the ages of the family members, which again means that Diane would have only been like maybe 15, 16 years old when she had Dana. So you get the impression that Diane and Steven were definitely like high school sweethearts. Oops. (laughs) Had a kid at 15, 16. And that's kind of that. So the team decides to go ahead and visit the house. And you know, once they walk in immediately, there's just way more stuff happening than what they're used to.
0: They're trying to show their cred
1: by being like, Oh yeah. Yeah, we took this camera, and we put a time-lapse
0: of it, Yeah, and this one thing moved across the floor in eight hours. And, uh, Pretty rad, huh?
1: Craig Tito's like, yeah, okay, bro. And then,
0: like, <laughs> yeah. opens the second, the, I love the, this the just, like, door. dead
1: stare. He's just like, uh-huh? Yeah, yeah, cool. It just unlocks the door, and just all hell is breaking loose in this bedroom. Yeah. Shit is just flying around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I love, too, that, like, extreme close-up on Dr. Lesh with the other two guys standing behind her. That's definitely a Toby Hooper kind of shot.
0: Yeah, again, I really thought this was going to turn into, like, them showing up and then, like, running out of the house screaming after five minutes. But to
1: the movie's credit, they stick around and they, like, really try and help this family out. And take it seriously, too. You know, they're not necessarily, like, rolling their eyes about it.
2: But this is also the chance of a lifetime for them.
1: Totally, yeah, yeah, And I love, too, like, the two sidekick guys, and Ryan, they're the proto version of those two sidekick guys that you've seen in other movies as well. Like they're exactly Tucker and Specs, the two guys from like the Insidious movies that tag along with uh, What's Your Face.
2: Right, right. There's always that team.
1: Exactly, you know? yeah. So, I, I like that dynamic, too. That's that's just always one of those, like, weird things I like in movies like this. But, yeah, like you said, they're immediately kind of marveling at, like, all the insane stuff that's going on, because it's way more extreme than anything they've ever encountered. But they're immediately, like, sold, like, yeah, something's going on here. So, they buy in immediately, like we talked about earlier. Nobody is questioning anything that's happening through the course of this movie. Yeah. Like,
0: there's no second-guessing it. They put up cameras everywhere. Yeah. There's a whole station
1: with monitors with all the cameras. Dr. Lesh kind of kind of believes that, like, they are experiencing poltergeist activities. And she kind of explicitly outlines what is a poltergeist haunting versus just a regular vanilla kind of haunting. And talking about how, like, poltergeists are kind of centered around living people and hauntings are centered around dead people. She kind of, like, outlines what the differences are there. The main thing is she kind of says, like, poltergeist activity can just stop suddenly like with no warning it could just all be over and that's kind of immediately putting that ticking clock around like well, we got to figure out what happened to Caroline we got to get her we got to find her and that kind of lights right. a fire under everybody's ass to like get going
2: but also what is scarier the thing coming to an immediate halt and you don't get your daughter or the thing lasting for years forever yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly so I was like wait what
1: yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> but they they do hammer at home that like your daughter might disappear just yeah. abruptly right. yeah
1: but it's it's a good ticking clock to kind of build into the framework of the movie from this point on because everything that they do is crucial to getting her back in time you know so it's it's kind of a good way to ratchet up the tension in the movie so Everybody kind of gathers in the living room. And they attempt to contact Carol Ann that night. Kind of as like an initial demonstration for Dr. Lesh and her team of like what they've been doing. Because clearly like for a few weeks, you know, they have been kind of communicating with Carol Ann. They've figured out like all the weird quirks of the house. And they know when like, you know, one weird thing happens, it's going to lead to this weird thing. So like they're kind of used to all the like weirdness happening at this point. But they're going through kind of the process of contacting Carol Ann. They put the TV on this specific station that they figured out she comes through better around and everything else so caroline comes through but kind of in this weird liminal space she's in she has trouble like perceiving her surroundings and hearing them and kind of knowing where she's at
0: and the voice is very echoey she's definitely like in another
1: plane of existence within the house yeah caroline says she sees a light right and immediately they're like begging her you know avoid the light at all costs you know don't go to the light stay away from the light Carol and this is kind of one of those weird inextricable moments that I do like in the movie where like the portal opens up in the living room all of this old dusty jewelry and watches and shit falls through the portal and then the portal just kind of goes away right but it's like in the middle like of the living room open space right just this weird flashy portal opens up and then it's gone and everything kind of quiets down and then there's this moment where where there's kind of a big whoosh of wind and Carol Ann's, like, presence passes through Diane. Like, and she has this moment of, you know, relief that, like, yeah, Carol Ann is still here, but just kind of that overwhelming emotional, like... That little hint of like things are gonna be okay, like we could potentially do this, we can get her back. Yeah, I can smell her and yeah. yeah. I
2: love that added feature that I can smell her because yeah. I can promise you, every parent knows what their kids smell like. Yeah. And their kids all smell different.
0: Yeah. I didn't know that, huh? Oh
2: yeah, it's one of those very visceral you know you know that smell is like the biggest to memory factor and in triggering yeah. memories yeah. of things it's your biggest sense and yes your kids definitely smell like your kids
1: but yeah like this kind of moment of her being kind of emotionally reassured that they can do this like that kind of goes away real quick cuz all of a sudden there's like this big violent psychic blast that blows everybody backward and kind of this loud roaring sound of just like some kind of entity some like monster thing that is also kind of there with them in the room and at this point this is where steve and diane just kind of say like okay yeah we're sending the kids away tomorrow we're gonna be kind of done with this marty one of the two psychic guys he was upstairs when all this was happening and he like stumbles downstairs in a flop sweat and everything and he reveals like you know i was upstairs you know like listening and like looking for signals and something fucking bit me (laughs) and like opens up his shirt and there's like these huge teeth marks around his side you know so like there is something malevolent here like all the stuff Mm has been fairly benign so far like there's something under the surface that's in the house with yeah, them too. Yeah, I think this is
2: the first time they're starting to get scared. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so once everything's kind of quieted down, you see the team like discussing their findings and all the science stuff but they theorize that the portal in the living room that we saw is like an exit. So if there's an exit, there must be an entrance. And they kind of theorize that the entrance must be in the bedroom closet, which is where Carol Ann disappeared. Mm-hmm. And the kids bedroom at this point has been kind of off limits because the spirits haven't
2: been letting them in. Yeah, it's constant
1: activity in there. And like, it's almost unreachable to get to that part of the room. Yeah, there's a great scene where Diane kind of has this heart to heart with Dr. Lesh and drinking from Dr. Lesh's flask. But I love that moment where Dr. Lesh, again, just like really... They do a good job of humanizing her in a way that a lot of other movies don't. She would just be kind of this scientific doctor archetype kind of character. But the way that they humanize her and, like, really bring her down to Earth, having her, like, admit, yeah, like, I'm weirded out by all this, too. I'm also scared. Like, this is also way more intense than I'm used to dealing with. Um, And then, like, you know, Sharon hits off this flask together and just kind of having that bonding moment where, like, Dr. Lesh really, truly gets attached to this family and kind of promises we're going to get through this, yeah.
2: even though this is a job and it's kind of a chance of a lifetime you always feel like she is there for that family. Yeah.
0: This conversation between the two of them, the mother and her like when it's the dead of night and everyone's basically asleep is probably my favorite character moment in the movie and I think technically and uh, Aaron
1: back me up on this. This is the scene that would like make the movie pass the Bechdel test. Yeah, probably so. I mean there's probably a couple of moments like that in this movie but on that note like I love the relationship between these two women and just how they connect over this incident you know because especially like with all the strangeness that's going on they've both shared in their experience around like there's no need for them to like still have any kind of pretense around like oh I'm this professional doctor person and like there's no separation between them like they just relate to each other they're being human as people yeah they're being human they're like both admitting like you know they're unsure they're scared like that's a very like solid moment of character relation and I love too like when Robbie like he's asleep in Diane's arms he kind of wakes up and starts asking Dr. Lesh, too, like about spirits and the afterlife Mm -hmm. and talking about his grandfather's death. And like, you know, if Carol Ann's like still here, like, why didn't I see Grandpa's ghost come out of his body when he died or anything? And it's just an interesting touch, too, to think that Robbie was like there and like saw his grandfather die, you know, like he was there when it Mm -hmm. happened. But I love that scene where Dr. Lesh really beautifully like lays out spirits move on and they do this, blah, blah, blah.
3: Some people believe that when people die, there's a wonderful light as the sun, but it doesn't hurt to look into it. All the answers to all the questions that you ever want to know are inside that light. And when you walk to it, you become a part of it forever. And then some people die but they they don't know that they've gone. You think we are still alive? Maybe they didn't want to die. Maybe they weren't ready. Maybe they hadn't lived fully yet, or they'd lived a long, long time, but they still wanted more life. They resist going into that light, however hard the light wants them. They just, they just hang around, <laughs> watch TV, watch their friends grow up, feeling unhappy and jealous, and. Those feelings are bad. They hurt. And then... some people just get lost on the way to the light. And they need someone to guide them to it. So some people get angry and throw things around, like in my bedroom? Yes. Just like in school. Like some kids are nice to you. Some kids are mean.
1: It's just like a really, really good, beautifully written scene, and Beecher Street does a great job of delivering it, but it's just kind of one of those warm, fuzzy moments in the movie that otherwise, like, one of the gets last content from here on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I love, too, Steven's like very distant during this whole exchange, but he's definitely listening in on their conversation. Specifically, picks up kind of when Robbie's like, Yeah, well, you could just tie a rope around me, and then I could die, and then my ghost yeah. can go and get <laughs> Caroline and bring her back. You know, like, just that, like, weird kid logic around that Uh but yeah once everybody's like fully asleep you know everything dies down the two assistant guys are like sitting there kind of monitoring all the equipment the cameras and the microphones and everything Ryan's kind of sidetracked listening to music and like reading a comic book or something and Marty fucks off to the kitchen and starts raiding their fridge which again like dick move everybody likes stealing this family's food in this movie
2: (laughs) I also feel like it shows you how kind of at home these people have become with them oh
1: yeah yeah, yeah. That too. They're
2: feeling like they're part of the family. Yeah, I feel like he just felt very comfortable enough to be able to just go in their
1: kitchen. I had a feeling that they like gave him permission. Like, yeah, whenever probably you're probably so, like, yeah. But yeah. still, yeah. Um, I love that. Like, the first thing he goes for though is this giant, gorgeous-looking the steak. steak which he just like <laughs> slaps it on the counter or whatever Who but
2: does that
1: you know he turns around and like gets a chicken leg and starts eating that but he turns around and sees this steak slug crawling across the countertop um and then all of a sudden it explodes into like these meaty cancer nuggets just out of nowhere and then he like drops the drumstick out of his mouth and looks down at the ground and it's now covered in nuggets maggots, yeah. And, like, he's seeing all these hallucinations and this is the scene that fucked me up as a kid like this is the one I was moment
2: this is the scariest yeah. scene in the movie to me when I yeah. first saw it. If I
1: saw and it this, so when I was hokey young. now, yeah. but it like definitely got me when I was a kid. But yeah, he like freaks out steps over to this laundry room that's kind of attached to the kitchen, washes out his mouth and his face and looks in the mirror and of course the light kind of electricity pops and fades to a different color and he hallucinates oh there's a weird like spot on my cheek and starts picking at it and little by little like meat and just blood starts kind of coming out he just like slowly starts tearing his face off until it's just a skeleton face freaking out and <laughs> yeah, no as a kid that would have fucked me up Yeah, blech. that's the scene that got me and I know for a fact that I saw that scene on TV probably really really young just out of context of the movie because I definitely have really distinct memories of that weird kind of red orange light in that moment and like the blood running down the drain but yeah that's the scene that definitely got me growing up and go back and watch it now it's still a fun effect but it's definitely like you know fucking Muppet head like freaking out with two oh, real yeah. people hands tell it's,
2: the moment it goes yeah. from and really help. and
1: apparently it's yeah. it's Spielberg's hands he was on set that day when they were filming <laughs> this he was like yeah sure I want it to be my hands." so it was like you know these real people hands tearing away at this puppet face but um, you know of course he like snaps too and you know realizes it was just a hallucination but this is the moment that gets Marty to like nope out permanently because after this point in the movie he's just like yeah bye I'm not coming back yeah Yeah. while this is going on too all the automated cameras around start kind of whirring and buzzing and they focus in on the staircase and this is like some weird house architecture stuff that I don't get this was all a set this is in a real house the outside's real house the insides all sets but um the, the like weird like giant living room with this ugly staircase just kind of it coming wasn't down ugly the center I'm um, sure I know with the shag carpeting and everything but like just the weirdness of like this completely free-floating staircase going down in the middle of your room in the middle of the room is kind of a weird detail but I like the way that they use it in terms of staging for everything but oh, the yeah. cameras Is focusing on these stairs and they record, you know, this big spectral kind of glowy light, you know, and all the family kind of wakes up and sees it, and it comes down the stairs and is floating around. But you know, once it kind of wishes and disappears, they immediately like go to the cameras and they, they rewind all the footage and they see this big procession of all these lights and all these orbs coming down the stairs. But there are these kind of faint images of kind of these like old timey pioneer looking ghosts dressed up in like like suits and top hats yeah, and are they you don't very, really see very the, faint. The
2: individual ghosts until they show it back to you on the camera. Exactly. When you yeah. were just watching it come down the stairs, you didn't really see that, but it picked it up on the camera. It's just
1: glowy lights. Yeah. yeah. It looked like orbs. Yeah. And I
2: did write down why did all the ghosts have hats?
1: <laughs> so the backstory to that, I'll kind of get to when we get to the end because there's a huge misconception about this movie that pop culture has had for years. So I'll talk about that in just a moment. But the next morning, diane and steven like see robbie off to grandma's house and again it's just like okay bye hop in this cab kid hope you get there and
2: then she looks at robbie and she says robbie call call me me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) sure okay (laughs) bye and i do love to that moment where like the dog you know like looks back at the parents and then he looks at the kid he's just like fuck this i'm going with the kid (laughs) so anyway yeah dr lesh says okay i gotta bring these tapes back to the lab we need it we need backup <laughs> yeah but basically she's like i'm gonna get backup i'm coming back yeah i love that like exact moment where she promises diane like i will be back i promise you i am coming back and i'm bringing help we then go to a scene where Steve's boss, Louis Teague, shows up at their house to kind of check in on him because he's mostly been absent from work this whole time. He Who
2: is an idiot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, this is kind of in the long tradition of well, douchebag right, yeah. corporate 80s bosses. 80s corporate douchebag. Yeah. yeah. But he goes to check on him since Steven's not been at work. He's kind of seeing some of the weird stuff. I love the scene where, like, the piano is, like, scraping across the board to him. Steven's just like, ah, no, no, yeah, just yeah. don't worry, but come here, come here. And then
2: the the porch light, and he's like, what, you got a 300-watt bulb in this thing? Yeah. I mean, It's all know. just
1: going right over his head. He kind of fears that, like, he might be losing Steven, right? So he kind of throws a carrot out a little bit, but Teague, his boss, takes Steven out kind of to the edge of the valley and then kind of drops the whole, like, hey, so imagine this is where your house is now. What if we get you a bigger, nicer house in this new expansion that we're gonna put? You know, this is the new area. This is kind of where we get the bombshell from his boss that, um, you know, the cemetery that we're looking at right here, yeah, we're just gonna move it. That's exactly what we did with the whole development that you live on right now. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah. We'll just move everybody. It'll be okay, right? (laughs) And this, of course, is like where Steven kind of is just like, okay, this could have something to do with what's happening. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's just like this giant fucking cemetery uh, full of graves and creepy trees and stuff that's right there on the edge of their neighborhood. Also, too, the fact that they call them phases kind of weirds me out because our neighborhood is definitely broken up into phases. So, you know, I was constantly in the back of my head like, huh, what burial ground am I on top of right now?
2: Also, you know, when they were talking about not wanting to cut into that part yet to build houses, he was like, it'll take away from the beautiful view of the hill that everyone has right now. Yeah. And then when they pull back and you see the hill, the hill's completely covered in gray. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, wait, yeah. what was the beautiful view?
1: Yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> Lewis Teague, the boss, is played by James Caron. Um, he's one of those like that guy character actors that I like oh, a lot. Yeah. He was in All the President's Men, Capricorn 1, China Syndrome, The Jazz Singer. He's in Return of the Living Dead 1 and 2, which Hooper was originally attached to direct the first one and that kind of all went sideways but he is in Hooper's remake of Invaders from Mars which is a lot of fun and he also ends up in Mulholland Drive 2 just to kind of circle back around to our like constant David Lynch love. Funny enough though, James Caron was the spokesman for Pathmark Supermarkets at the time. He was like on all the commercials and everything and after this movie came out, just to show you how fucking dumb people are and still are, he like received tons of hate mail from people after this movie (laughs) came out they were just like, we're never gonna shop at Path mark again because you treated that family so bad we saw what you did like oh god you think whatever um, at this point we are now introduced to Tangina Barons she is this diminutive powerful psychic that Dr. Lesh has kind of brought in as like the ultimate when all else fails let's go to her kind of expert oh Zelda
2: one quick thing one of my favorite lines happened when they're out there on the on the hill with all the graves and everything and the Bob says it's not ancient tribal burial land it's just people yeah classifies it that way that I mean it's not like it's something fancy it's just regular people
1: so I did kind of mention a second ago and I guess like I'll, I'll bring it up right here it's a weird misconception about this movie that the house was built on an ancient Indian burial ground kind of thing it, it's not nope. like that's not the case there is, there is no Native people. American burial ground I guess maybe some of that misconception comes from the fact that the second movie has some of that kind of woven into it and there is is a Native American character in the second movie, but there is no Native American burial ground. That's not a thing in this movie at all, or the series at all. We actually find out in the second movie, there was a doomsday religious cult from the 1800s that were all pioneers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So if you haven't seen the sequel, just I guess spoiler alert for the sequel, the second movie introduces this whole notion that in the 1800s, there was like this pioneer group of like religious doomsday zealots that all Went out to this area, and they all, like, kind of committed ritual suicide. We're all gonna go to, like, the next plane together, and they are all led by this, like, Reverend Kane figure, who was this Jim Jones, doomsday preacher kind of guy, and he kind of becomes the central, like, villain, I guess. Like, he essentially is the beast, and the beast is him kind of thing. And we find out that all these people, like, ritually committed suicide essentially in a cave, Underneath the neighborhood, like directly underneath their house, and that's where like all this stuff stems from. So not the graveyard. <laughs> and at the end of the day, that was the original idea in the original treatment that they came up with. They just kind of cut all of that as what the root cause was, and it moved into like the yeah, directly. That would have been a little much, I think. Yeah, and you know, it kind of goes from there. But that kind of explains like why you see like these old timey ghosts show up in the tape. That they caught on yeah. the staircase and all that That was originally kind of the plan of what Things were going to be it just didn't really make it Into the final version of the movie
0: I just always assumed it was showing the fact That this house is haunted by multiple Ghosts or multiple ghosts yeah. are stuck in the house And then that also gives more Credence to the random objects that come Out of the portal in the ceiling because some exactly. of them Are really yeah. old and dated
1: yeah anyway To circle back around uh, we're introduced to Tangina Steven's kind of immediately Skeptical about her as a Psychic right and he kind of jokingly tries Tries to like test her psychic abilities and it kind of backfires. But he's There's very skeptical. so much in
2: like the next ten minutes where they are making fun of her. Yeah, there are so many moments when him and jo Beth Williams are on the verge of cracking. Yeah, I mean they are trying everything in their power not to just bust out laughing. And
1: I'm curious how much of that is like actually genuine because That's what Zelda Rubenstein in real life claims to have been a psychic like in real life she's like yeah (laughs) i can talk to the spirits hell yeah you know she like claims to have had a vision of her dog and then the next day her like mom called and was like your dog died stuff like that right she's kind of an odd figure in real life as well too you could just probably take it that
0: was them almost having a nervous breakdown because of going through yeah really
1: (laughs) But yeah, Zelda Rubinstein was in Under the Rainbow, which is like another one of those weird like Mm not-for-kid movies that I remember watching with you. That was about little people actors from Wizard of Oz behind the scenes and and just them getting loaded and fucking constantly. Weird movie. Um, But yeah, she was in that Sixteen Candles, Anguish, which is another really off-the-wall horror movie. Southland Tales, which is Richard Kelly's follow-up to Donnie Darko. That movie is bananas. Like, if we want to talk about, like, a really weird, ambitious mess of a movie, that movie is bananas, but it's kind of fascinating. She was also kind of in the, like, tongue-in-cheek satire horror movie, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, which is kind of Jason, Freddy kind of character, like, oh yeah, this guy really existed. So anyway, yeah, she's introduced. Um, and after I
2: very specifically remember all of the laughter in the theater. Oh yeah. She walks in and you're expecting this big thing and there's light behind her. She's all backlit. And then it's like, wait, what?
1: Well, I remember a couple of years ago, the theater in town showed this as part of their like retro cinema kind of thing. And when they introduced her, like the audience was just like, hell yeah, (laughs) here she is. (laughs) So yeah, after she like walks around the house and like kind of takes a, read of everything this is where she has a big exposition dump explaining what's going on yeah
2: It was a long monologue.
1: Yeah, but she basically explains that, like, there is a powerful entity called the Beast, and it is powerful enough that it's broken through into our plane of existence and taken Carol Ann in order to, like, use her really bright, powerful life essence. I I wrote it down as her shining, basically. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But, yeah, the Beast has, like, kidnapped Carol Ann and is using her as a way to distract all of these other spirits to prevent them from like moving on through to the light and crossing over, right? Like for dot 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 reasons, right? But basically, like the beast has Caroline. The Anna. beast six, six, yeah, six. The number of the beast. So. She ultimately kind of sets things in motion by having Diane and primarily Stephen call out to Carol Ann and kind of demand that she like essentially move the spirits toward the light as kind of a way to distract the beast, right? So that that way they can like actually get into the bedroom and open up that gateway from the closet to the living room so that they can go in and get her, but they need her to like distract the beast. And I love that like they initially start by having Diane call out to her, but then they kind of move to like Stephen because he's kind of the primary, the law and order in the house. And, you know, she's, Tangina's telling him, like, you got to get mad with her. You got to be cross with her. You got to tell her you're going to spank her. And he's like, I've never laid a hand on her, right? But, you know, it kind of works and it gets Caroline's attention. And once they kind of think that the beast is distracted, essentially, Tangina goes into the children's bedroom. And, you know, again, all that chaos and the giant portal in the closets blasting, glowing insanely bright. And just kind of as a test... They toss these two tennis balls through the closet to just see what happens. You know, every time they, like, toss one and there's, like, a huge whoosh kind of burst, and it pops through into the living room and is full of, like, all kinds of weird gack.
2: Yeah, I wrote down, what the hell is that jelly stuff? Ectoplasm? Ectoplasm
1: is my guess, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Some some kind of weird, like, ghosts goop, but they kind of test the connection between the two gateways, and their theory is solid. One is an entrance, and one is an exit, right? So, they take this heavy rope and toss it through the gateway with the intention of someone, like, passing through and essentially trying to grab Caroline in the process and bringing her through the other side. And initially tangina's like yep i'm gonna go and she's like rolling up her sleeves and taking off her giant liquor store glasses (laughs) i love too that diane's like you know no i need to go like she's gonna respond to me like i need to to go rescue her she's not gonna come to you
2: and then best line in the movie
1: (laughs) yeah i love that like she doesn't even think about it but she's just like yeah you're right you know you should go go." just totally (laughs) um she's like neither one of us has ever done this before good point yeah sure have at (laughs) it But yeah, as Diane is like tying the rope around herself and everything, she's saying she loves Steven, and they kiss and he promises not to let go of the rope, which spoiler alert, he does. But that's like a great moment, like visually, to see the two of them like hugging and kissing, like in front of that big giant strobe light. It's oh, just yeah. a really yeah. good yeah. visual.
0: Um, To Steven's credit, though, he drops it because a giant fucking skull. Yes. <laughs> at him. Um, the beast comes out of the closet and screams at
1: him. Tangina's like ushering the spirits toward the light trying to like get them to go and steven kind of jumps the gun on pulling the rope and yeah just pulls a giant massive demon skull through the closet door (laughs) it's like you know flaming eyes and yelling at him and roaring and he's just like fuck yeah so it's ...understandably drops the rope... ...but luckily Dr. Lesh and Ryan... ...pull the rope downstairs... ...just in time... ...and Diane and Carol Ann... ...like fall through the portal... ...and just kind of splat... ...you know onto the floor in the living room... ...covered in whatever that spirit... ...afterbirth gunk is... ...and they rush both of them... ...upstairs to the bathtub... ...and it's... ...both of them are kind of like... ...in the fetal position... ...and being pulled with this rope... ...so there again... ...there's a lot of like... ...birth imagery going on... ...in that moment where they're definitely, like, being pulled through this portal of light, covered in gunk in the fetal position by this rope, you know? So a lot of that is very, like, solid birth imagery there. But they rush them up to the bathtub and put them in the water, which they kind of filled up beforehand, which I didn't quite quite know why that was but apparently water is like one of those weird like kind of liminal spiritual things whatever like you hear about like spirits can't cross running water whatever so like the water is just kind of one of those like let's get them back up and going things and you know both of them are kind of unconscious before they go in the bathtub and then slowly they you know wake back up
2: there's also bubble bath in there because at the end of the scene after both (laughs) of them wake up like the tub's full of bubbles and you're like wait
1: what (laughs) but yeah there's kind of this great quiet moment where like they're all kind of sitting there on the you know in the bathtub and <laughs> the scientists close the door and just kind of lead them in there to have their like family moment and that's where you know Tangina takes off her glasses all you know satisfied and just says
2: this clean, this house
1: is clean which definitely something that I say every time I clean our house do you really like after you clean you go this yeah, house no joke. is every clean. time I'm just like this house is clean so yeah the next day we see the Freelings hastily packing up to get the fuck out of that house. Finally. Like, they're literally, like, running. Like, they're just grabbing boxes and, like, throwing them at the movers. We also kind of learn in that moment that, like, Steven has quit his job. He's heading up to the office to, like, grab all of his stuff, and they're just gonna, like, ditch, right? They, like, made arrangements to go stay at a Holiday Inn already, so, like, they're on the way out. He even makes the reference of, I'm gonna tell my boss to, like, fuck off, oh, yeah. basically. Yeah, Diane says something like, like, how do you you think he's gonna take it when you tell him to go to hell he's like I'm not gonna tell him to go to hell I'm gonna give him directions <laughs> yeah cause at that point he's like the dude like built our house on top of a graveyard fuck this guy <laughs> yeah well uh, they don't quite know that yet right like they just know like okay with all the weird stuff we got our daughter back let's get out of this house it's the house right you know all the children are back home we see Robbie's back Dana's back Dana's like yo I'm gonna go hang out with my friends bye and she like leaves again okay bye
2: that's what I'm saying like she's not in any of the scenes in this movie babe. Basically.
1: Hardly, yeah. Past that first moment with the scientists where they kind of make connection with Carol Ann, she's just like, cool, bye, I'm out of here. Yeah. So... <laughs> The plan, again, is to, like, stay at a hotel that night. But clearly, like, everybody is still planning to sleep at the house, right? Like, I don't know. The kids are in, like, PJs and going to bed and everything. Diane now has, like, these two kind of, like, white streaks through the front of her hair. You know, supposedly from her, like, brush with this supernatural liminal kind of dimension. So she's up in her bathroom and, you know, we see her, like, reading a box of hair dye, trying to dye those streaks back out. And she takes a bath. And we kind of mentioned earlier, this is set up you know with a lot of like build up and we think something's going to happen to her like while she's in the bathtub right and um you know it just kind of is more like tension building right but yeah Robbie and Carolyn go to bed and then this is the scene with the fucking clown that everybody okay, talks but about I have
2: two questions yeah first of all how did the clown get back in there because he got sucked into the closet
1: and they just like put him back on Everything the chair again yeah got
2: sucked back in the closet and how did the headboard of her bed get back on there when it got torn to bits? <laughs>
1: true Yeah, continuity error, I guess. Oops. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, this is the moment where Robbie sees this fucking weird creepy clown doll, which no kid would have a creepy clown doll like that. It's my same issue with like the Annabelle doll from all the Conjuring stuff. Like, in real life it was just a Raggedy Ann doll, because nobody would have a nobody creepy, have cracked doll. face doll in their <laughs>
2: house. But you saw how Carol Ann was snuggling up with her doll that had no head. Yeah, you know? really. Like, it's just, that's just kid stuff, you know. Some yeah, sure. Stuff. But that oh, my Lord. that clown
1: doll is like some bullshit. Yeah, that's nightmare. Bullshit. Um, every time now, I just think of like the McElroy's just go like, this on a It's Haunted Doll, watch. Yeah.
2: I don't know if you know this reference or not, Aaron, but the pajama shirt that Joe Beth Williams is wearing in this scene when she gets out of the tub, she blood dries her hair, that red football jersey with the white letters on it, that is straight up Susan Saint James in Macmillan and wife. It was a TV show that had Rock Hudson, and those were okay, her pajamas. Yeah, yeah. And every one of the episodes ended with the two of them talking, sitting up in bed, and she would be wearing that football jersey, that red football jersey. Huh, and okay. when when she hosted Saturday Night Live one time back during the seventies, she actually came out and did her monologue in that football shirt. I remember it like it was yesterday. I wonder
1: then that if that's just like an in joke from Hooper or something. That's probably what that is. Yeah,
2: or it was just sort of a common just trending. Back then, it was sort of just a sexy thing that you wore a football jersey like that for pajamas, yeah. women did. But it's a straight-up McMillan and wife reference.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, I yep. that one went over my head. So, yeah, like we mentioned, the clown doll disappears. Robbie looks up, clown doll's gone. We hear skitter, skitter. Mm-hmm. Um There's kind of a great jump scare where he goes over the edge of the bed, looks under the bed, nothing. And then as the camera pulls back up and he gets back up, boom, clown's behind him, grabs him, pulls him down underneath the bed.
2: And for the record... You you could not pay me enough money to look under a bed at night.
1: You could not. <laughs> Especially not after a fucking creepy clown doll has just disappeared in front of you. <laughs> no,
2: there's nothing in the world that would make me look under a bed. And you
1: hear it skittering around.
2: Yeah. Nope, not going to happen.
1: And I like how
0: the, the clown's face literally becomes twisted and evil as it grabs yeah. it. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, look at his long arm that wrapped around his neck that just grew and grew and grew. And, yeah. Yeah.
1: Apparently, that clown doll malfunctioned on set. Again, like, why are you putting real children in these dangerous situations? Like, they don't make movies like that anymore. But yeah, the clown doll malfunctioned and was actually strangling Oliver Robbins until they, like, noticed he was turning purple. and They were like, oh, shit. Like, all, everybody rushed into the, like, scene and, you know, tried to, like, get this kid out of the clown. And you say it isn't cursed, huh? Yeah. So, yeah, just as Diane is, like, laying down in bed after her shower, she immediately hears Robin screaming, but then all of a sudden, she's pinned to the bed by some kind of unseen force, and something's attacking her, um, and it starts dragging her, like, up the bedroom wall and across the ceiling and this is you know another one of those trick rooms where they like build the room on a gimbal and spin it you know
2: yeah and that moment on the bed reminded me so much of the entity
1: (laughs) totally totally Yes, that's kind of one of those things where it's interesting that both of these movies came out at the same time and there was definitely something kind of in the zeitgeist because both movies have Mm -hmm. a lot of crossover but other than this one scene there's not any Anything sexual about this movie. Yeah. But this is like the only scene that's, you know, vaguely sexual because, you know, whatever force that's attacking her is like trying to pull her shirt up, right?
2: Yeah, and she keeps jerking it back, yeah.
1: And the entity is obviously like way more sexual. It's completely sexual in what's happening. You know, but it's just weird that like both of these movies came out same time basically and we're kind of dealing with a lot of the same stuff at the same time. But anywho, you know, we're kind of cutting back and forth between these two things where Diane is being kept from her kids, like the beast, whatever spirit is like keeping her from the kids, trying to kidnap them again. I love too, like Robbie, like, beating the shit out of this clown doll, like literally (laughs) ripping all of its guts out and saying, just like,
0: fuck you clown! Yeah, Is he screaming like, I hate you, or like I'll kill you?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and clearly it's just a distraction because the portal in the closet, you know, reopens, this time even more grotesquely. It looks straight up like the decaying throat or
0: like insect Sides, intestines almost of like a demonic well, entity. Well, again,
1: like let's go back to all the motherhood imagery, like the birth imagery. I mean, this mm-hmm. is definitely just a giant vagina closet. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, trying <laughs> yeah. to pull them back in. Yeah. So Diane is trying to get into the kids' room. Um, and this is kind of a great, like, oh shit kind of moment because she goes out into the hallway and goes to go in the kids' room in this giant Skeletal lion demon thing is like standing guard at their door, like roaring at her. Nope. And yeah, that's immediately like a who shit nope. That's like way more intense than what we've seen so far, as far as like things on our plane. The beast
0: is not fucking around on this time. This time around, yeah.
1: But she accidentally kind of falls down the stairs into the living room. Immediately gets back up. Like nothing's like gonna stop her from trying to get to her kids. The railing of the stairs shocks her as she tries to go back up. She tries to go through the front door, and it like shocks her and blasts her backwards. So, you know, the spirits are doing everything they can to like keep her from the kids. She runs out into the backyard to call for help and she's screaming for like any neighbors to come and help. And she accidentally slips and falls into the pool.
2: These neighbors that are like what's going on? What's going on? And then they're just are like, nope, we're not going in that house. Yeah. Because she's begging them to help and they're like, she's like, my kids are in there. Nope, we're out of here. Yeah, not
1: nope. <laughs> <Nah>, good. <laughs> but yeah, Diane like slips down into the pool and the pool is now like filled up with rainwater and mud and she's struggling to get out of this giant like mudslide pool because it's it's a pool so i mean it's dug in like on an incline right and she's struggling to get up and sliding back down you know in the mud but all of a sudden these fucking skeletons all these corpses start just popping up all around her and these caskets are like yeah the caskets like shoot up and skeletons start flying out yeah which again this is kind of where some of that whole like oh this movie's cursed kind of thing comes in because apparently basically all these skeletons are real skeletons which you know everybody blew that up and made a big deal of it and that's weird it is but getting fake skeletons for movies was way more difficult and expensive than literally just buying real skeletons from third world countries. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Jesus so, Christ. like, everybody makes a big deal of it on this movie, but that was very normal for movies for decades to use tons of, like, real fake skeletons. I didn't know real that. Fake
2: <laughs> real fake skeletons? Real fake
1: To use real skeletons because they were cheaper than getting fake ones made, right? Yeah. So, that's another one of the things like, oh, this movie's cursed because they use all these real people's skeletons, right? Anyway, that, and again, like, wild safety shit you can't get away with now. Jabeth Williams was, like, really concerned about shooting this pool scene because of all the electrical equipment that was constantly, like, around all the lights and all the cameras and everything, right? So, you know, reasonably, she was just like, yeah, I don't know about getting in this pool full of water and this mud and this rain with all this, you know, electrical stuff. And Spielberg apparently was just like, you know what? Okay, cool. I'm going to hop in this pool with you, and you know what? If if you go, I go. Whatever. And that kind of convinced her to, like, okay, go ahead and shoot the scene, but again, like, safety shit that would not fly now. <laughs> no, fuck no. So, yeah, all these corpses start to float to the surface, all these caskets are, like, bursting through the ground and flopping open, you know, and eventually, like we said, these random neighbors just kind of happen to show up and, like, help her get out of the pool and climb out, but immediately, like, you see all the lights and all the craziness happening inside the house and these neighbors nope out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> nope. So, Diane runs back in, just in time to see the, like, kids getting sucked into, like, this giant gaping vagina closet. Now, I love, too, like, as soon as she opens the door, just whoosh, she's pulled into the room and is, like, hanging. It's another one of those, like, they built the room, flipped it on its side so that everybody's, like, actually hanging, you know, looking like they're getting pulled in. And she manages to, like, get her footing, grab the kids, get them to, like, hold on to each other, and she pulls them out of the bedroom to safety, and and this is the moment that I mentioned earlier where, like, if you look at Carolyn clearly, she's just a doll with a wig on and like pajamas <laughs> just like flopping. <laughs> you know, Robbie is definitely real, and you can see the same thing. Robbie is terrified to be filming this scene. Oh my but gosh. yeah, she pulls them out just in time for Steven and Mr. Teague, his boss, to like pull back up to the house. And by now, like people are starting to come out their houses to see what's Neighbors going on. Neighbors are gathered yeah. around, right. and, like all chaos is breaking loose. Yeah. yeah, there's fire hydrants exploding on the street and, and And
2: this moment bothered me both times that I've watched it recently. They arrive, Craig T. Nelson gets out of the car and he just stands there like dumbfounded with his jaw hanging open and he's like, what? what's going on? After everything that's happened in this movie, <laughs> I would have thought he would have gone rushing headlong yeah. to the house to go rescue his family, but nope, he just stands there forever. And it's finally like when he hears them scream or something that he tries to go running in.
1: Diane right? really is the MVP. I know. <laughs> well, it, it totally goes back to that. Like this mom is doing like everything she can to like save her kids while this dad is just kind of like, boop, boop. but yeah, he's trying to get into the house, but there are coffins literally exploding out of the <laughs> right. ground. <laughs> in all directions And this is kind of where He puts the two and two together And he you know Has that great moment Where he goes over And just kind of grabs Teague By the collar And is just like You move the headstones But you left the bodies <laughs> You left the
0: bodies But you didn't move the headstones There's this Lies. moment Where Lies. he yeah.
2: screams Why yeah. Twice Why In the most like Guttural voice Just this Why, why?
1: <laughs> but yeah diane and robbie and Carolyn are like little by little making their way out of the house and it's great seeing like these coffins exploding through the floor of the kitchen that we've seen this whole movie <laughs> But eventually, like, they make their way, like, out to the front of the house. Conveniently, right as Dana is being dropped off by her right. friends, um, they're all trying to get into the, like, you know, family station wagon. I love Dana, too. She gets out of the car, like, straight up, giant hickey on her neck, and it's just like, what's
3: going on? <laughs> just screaming.
1: Just get screaming, in the get car. In the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So the whole family piles into the station wagon. They yeah. just nope out, like, leave yeah. everyone else behind. Oh, by. Lord. I do love that one last casket that busts through and just, like, launches a corpse, like, right onto the windshield as they're trying to pull out.
2: And I was cracking up because the whole time that Dana is standing there screaming, the little brother is in the car just screaming, Just go, just go, just go. Yeah, yeah like, leave her. <laughs> Forget her. Just,
3: just go.
1: Um. But yeah, they all load up in the car and they dip the fuck out. Um, and I love that like all the neighbors are like outside their oh, house Lord. in the street, gather and watching everything. And again, like fire hydrants are exploding, cars are getting flipped over, yeah. the lights are all going crazy. There's a giant vortex that's opening up above the house. Yeah, it cracks all over the street. Yeah, there's like a giant psychic blast that like explodes all the car windows on the street. Like this movie literally just ends with a bang. But yeah, we see the entire house just gets sucked up into this giant portal vortex, and it just kind of implodes into nothingness into this just flash of light and just whoop, is gone, right? Just nothing but like a perfectly empty lot. That house trick is still really effective and cool. They like built a house model, and then they literally sucked it into a vacuum generator while people were like standing off to the side, blasting it with shotguns. Fantastic. And then they just, (laughs) you know, slowed it down. But it's just kind of one of those great like, okay, we shot this with this like, really expensive model, this one-time special effect. Did we even get anything? So, of course, they had to, like, develop the film and see what they, you know, actually had. But, yeah, the last scene of the movie is the Freelings all showing up looking tired and busted at their Holiday Inn room and they all defeatedly kind of, like, you know, walk in. They're all together, but they're just kind of like in that mode of, like, okay, let's just go to bed. And the last thing is uh, Steven shoves the rolling TV set out onto the walk Way just like okay nope get this out of here what a good ending (laughs) yeah like there's no theft
2: protection on the TV the TV was just like sitting on a loose stand
1: yeah just it just wheels it
2: it right out and kicks it
1: out but yeah what a great button to put on this movie (laughs) like it not only does it have a huge big climax but then it has that false ending with an even bigger climax and then there's just this kind of one last good little like bow tie on the whole thing yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a good ending. Yep. What a great way to end this movie, and you have like the Carolan, like little lullaby kind of playing over the end credits. Yep. I love horror movies that have these like good kind of heartwarming endings, whether they're like positive, happy like this one or not, or like we joked a minute ago, Midsummer like kind of ends in a darkly positive kind of way. I like the horror movies that kind of have these endings where you can feel like you know a little bit. Uplifted at the end of it, even if it is maybe a little bit off, versus just here's the last cheap jump scare, gotcha. Very rarely does right. that work for me in a movie. But just the way that, like, everything resolves for this family, we know they're safe, like, we can all kind of breathe that sigh of relief as an audience and know that everything's probably good. I think a,
0: a lesser movie would either end with a jump scare or, like, them in the hotel all sleep, then the TV turns on by itself. Right, that. right. Or even doing the same thing, rolling the TV out and, like, as the camera's zooming away like it does, TV turns on by itself and it's just yeah. static. But they don't even do that, which I appreciated.
2: And there's this really, really, really long wait Yeah before the TV comes out and you're just sitting there thinking oh which direction are they going to go in and then all of a sudden throw the TV out
1: yeah ultimately what's kind of interesting is like some of the contradictions in this movie because like at the end of the day with how they kind of defined poltergeist activity is this really even like a poltergeist event or is this just a simple haunting once we find out like oh yeah it's just built on top of this like cemetery that they didn't move the bodies around well
2: they were just people
1: yeah they were just people (laughs) that revelation at the end of seems to indicate the latter, that it is just maybe a simple haunting, especially kind of what we know kind of, you know, in air quotes, real life, um, what we kind of consider to be poltergeist activity, like what the traditional, like, definition of it is, that it centers more around telekinetic psychic bursts that usually are tied to, like, teenage girls, which is, you know, kind of interesting in that sense of where the sequels go, because we eventually kind of find out that all the women in this family have psychic abilities, and, you know, little by little they kind of come out. Like, Jo Beth Williams in the second movie kind of remembers, oh yeah, I did have a lot of weird stuff happen when I was a kid too. <laughs> Conveniently. Yeah, she kind of starts to like hone her psychic abilities and they hint that Carol Ann also has this gift and blah 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 and that kind of carries over into the third movie and we eventually learn that like Reverend Kane is wanting to like possess Carol Ann to like come back into the real world or whatever. Because
0: the only elements of that in this first movie you get is just a little bit of like throw away dialogue from zelda Rubinstein when she's saying like they're attracted to her life force her light yeah and that's about it yeah but I'm glad this movie, you know, I do want to see the sequels eventually, but I this is kind of like the original Matrix. I can also
1: be okay with this just standing alone as its own yeah, thing. Yeah, like they're worth watching, but the first movie does stand on its own to the point where like you really don't have to have any sequels. Um like I said, I have a soft spot for the third one because I think the third one takes the story in a very interesting direction. Like the second one's just a lot of rehash of the first movie over again. The only real difference being think about in the entirety of this first movie there is no glimpse of what the other side looks like right? Like, we never go into that universe. But in the second movie, there's tons of scenes where the family is just floating around on wires against the blue screen with, like, you know, be like, swirly backgrounds. And yeah, I'm not interested in any of that. I'm glad that the first movie, like, keeps you in the dark about, like, what actually looks like. It's mysterious, yeah. It adds more mystique to, like, what is on the other side. And I know that the, like, remake does the same thing, but to an even dumber degree because the dad is like a drone enthusiast and so of course oh, in that movie they're great. like oh, we got to send a drone through to the other side with a camera and see what's over there great buddy. so whatever
0: to answer your <laughs> earlier question though, was like is this technically a poltergeist man this is straight up demon activity with the piece
1: <laughs> <laughs> get out of here with that mr demon <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, I do like just the entire notion that, like, we're not given a whole lot of clear-cut answers. There's not a whole lot of explanation on, like, what happened, why it happened, what caused it to happen. And, you know, obviously, like I said, the sequels kind of get into that a little bit. But I like that this movie is just not, <sighs> the movie is not preoccupied with trying to explain that stuff as much as it is trying to, like, tell the story of this family specifically centered around, like, this mother and her kids at the end of the day. That's kind of the main heart of this story that will always kind of bring me back to it. um, And I think is what kind of keeps it relevant for people going back to it decades later, even with the stuff that you can't necessarily like relate or connect to from like a television doing static and TV clickers and all that stuff we kind of talked about. You know, what kind of keeps this movie timeless is that core character stuff at the end of the day. Right. So yeah, that's... Kind of why that movie's special to me. That's why I love it so much. And there you go. So, Poltergeist. Good movie. Yay. Fun stuff. Any final thoughts?
2: Nope. I'm going to go watch the sequels now. I've never watched them.
1: So on that note, I guess if anybody is interested in watching the sequels, I am 95% sure that both 2 and 3 are currently on Tubi TV streaming for free. Nice. I know Scream Factory put out 2 and 3 on Blu-ray a couple of years back. Um, Those transfers are great. There's lots of good special features on those. But I'm very, very certain that both are streaming for free right now on 2 TV, and they have been on and off on Shudder in the past, so um, you can definitely check all of them out pretty easily. So, yeah, beyond that, another episode down. This is our first Mother's Day special. Thank you for coming on and sharing stories about Aaron. Definitely thank you, Mom. Thank you for indulging us in this. I kind of wanted to avoid, like, some of the more stereotypical mother movies. Like, yeah, sure, we could have brought you on and talked about Psycho, but that movie's like, not (laughs) quite as personal to me in the same way that, like, Poltergeist is. So I figured, at least for this first one, I'll, like, do what i want to. plus it'd be a little sinister to have your mom on to talk about psycho
2: well there you go thanks a lot
1: but yeah fun time good conversation had a fun time talking through this movie with all of y'all so that's about it for this week so yeah, we are Watch If You Dare Horror Movie Podcast. And you can check us out on social media at Watch If You Dare and obviously download future episodes at whatever your podcatcher of choice is. We're on pretty much everything at this point. Yeah, definitely continue to like rate, review, and you know, just throw us any kind of yeah. feedback you got. Thank um, you for all of that. Yep, yep. Uh, once again thank you to my little brother Jesse Mansfield for his uh, music at the beginning and the ends of all the episodes you can grab more of his stuff at Party Gator on Bandcamp and all of his other associated bands are kind of linked off from there again any support you can give him or any other gig economy people right now with everything that's going on definitely try to throw them as much support as possible and yeah otherwise everybody continue staying safe don't go crazy right now watch scary movies I guess and try to stay sane in these crazy times that's about it any last words derek well
0: you moved the headstones but you left the sally (laughs) this
3: podcast
0: is
3: (laughs) clay they're here